This week on Invasion of the Podcast, I'm joined by a special guest as we talk about the challenges of filmmaking, dig into 1987's sci-fi horror film, The Hidden, and then round it out with another edition of Box Office Barometer. We bring you this special radio television broadcast in order to give you the very latest information on an amazing phenomenon, the arrival of a spaceship. Just a minute, ladies and gentlemen, I think something is happening. Flying saucers have invaded our planet. People of Earth, attention. It's the invasion of the podcast. The whole world is under attack. Can it survive? And welcome to Invasion of the Podcast, where we try to take over the world one listener at a time. My name is Paul, and I'm joined by a very special guest on the show, my friend Pat, uh, who I've known for years and years and years. And yeah, welcome to the show, Pat. Thanks for having me. I've been look, looking forward to this. Yeah, like I just, um, you know, I'm just like, hey, let's talk about a movie that you showed to me that while we both got extremely high and had a good time with, but now let's let's have a critical allegedly. conversation. Allegedly, allegedly, allegedly. Sorry, I did, yeah, we drugs. What? No. So uh, we did watch the we did watch the movie though. We did watch the movie. Uh, we're gonna be talking about the hidden from 1987 a little bit later. And for those of you that seen the film, I think it's important to note that that I sent you into this movie blind. Well, we'll completely talk blind. It you wasn't never even that. No, heard you, of it. You you showed me. And we'll, I mean, let's just jump into that part of it right now before we okay, get okay. to it. We remember we we're just like not getting high and watching YouTube. Um, no. And there was one of those, like this was earlier, this was, oh, Jesus Christ, years ago where when people would take like film footage and then put like synth music over top of it, wasn't as common as it is now. Like that's a whole thing with all synth wave, right? I forget right. the name of the track that you played. And I was like, and it was the opening sequence of this film. And I was like, this that's, is badass. Okay, okay. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. That's how we came across it. And then, and then you're then, like, you've not seen The Hidden? And mm-hmm. that's what prompted it. So I, so the two okay. things is that um, that was awesome. And then I've been I've been constantly okay. listening to the I don't wave. remember what the track was, but I remember the video. But that's uh, ironically, that's how I came across the movie was even earlier, you would get kind of those techno videos that would be at like a club or something and it would have like anime yeah. over it. And so you would always do the thing where they would, you'd be like, what the heck, like what the heck is the source material? Cause I'm curious about it now. And, yeah. and fortunately I had someone around that was like, Oh, that's from this movie. Well, called. that was like the, the first time I saw the flaming lips uh, when they did their song, uh, Yoshimi battles to make robots. They had uh, footage in the background from battle Royale and I didn't know what battle Royale was. And mm. it was like, mm-hmm. I'm seeing all these like, you know, Japanese schoolgirls with Uzis fighting each other. Right. I'm, like, I'm like, I don't know what that is, but I want to watch it. You know, like, so, what the heck is that? Yeah, yeah. Right. So, but yeah, we'll get into that a little bit later. But first, before we get into the, the film itself, I, I want, like I said, you know, I've known you for years. I, I, you know, you're a brother. I love you to death. Uh, but I know, but, but, but there's, that should be a but there. Um, you have taken it upon yourself to get more and more proficient in filmmaking. And cause I know, uh, I hope so. Well, <laughs> no, seriously. Cause I, when, when we first met, you were just like, I'm going to DIY the shit out of all of this. And you started figuring out how to make things that were, um, approaching like how it would look professionally, but you're using, you know, uh, rollerblade wheels, bearings, pieces of wood pipe, you know, like I remember your steady cam rig that you did. That was awesome. You know, like for what it was. Yeah. A lot of my experiments seem to be by the time I R and D making my own version of it, the technology becomes simplified and affordable enough that someone else can just selling it on Amazon. Yeah. But that wasn't what but, it was then, you know? Yeah. yeah. Very true. So, so I know that it, I'm sure you're, it certainly gives you a bigger understanding of the principle of how it works as well. Cause you've 
Yeah, well, there has to be a mechanical Engineer knowledge of that. your own version of it, yeah. Yeah, because yeah, if you if you understand how it works physically, then there has to be a portal in terms of like your thinking of like how to operate it. Because and that's um, that could be a whole other topic, and I'm sure we'll get into some of that with talking about the hidden. Is that I think there is um, as the level of prosumer availability goes up, um, the the barrier for entry goes down, and then people don't value the the nuts and bolts experience of being able like you have this amazing piece of equipment you literally don't know how to use it you know that's very true um and i noticed i was just going to say this and you kind of came around full circle but um having built a generic version of a camera stabilizing apparatus that being on set and using a glide cam or a steady cam that an actual pro built rig that is rented by somebody mm-hmm. you have to calibrate and balance that so people we're all used to uh, the, it comes out of the box, you hit the good button on it and you instantly get gratification. Yeah. And I mean, that was the brilliance and design philosophy around like things like the Mac are, they were right about that, but that is not how a lot of things in a specialized situation like filmmaking work. It's all about balance and calibration because so many factors change in the way to the camera. So, People will wrestle with these apparatuses for hours on set, trying to balance them and calibrate them and shift the weight around. And I noticed that the fact that I knew how the insides worked made it you know, like I could do it in twenty minutes. And yeah, just, that like that, that's and, you already had like that the the basic understanding of like how it's supposed to work because when you mention like a steady cam or a glide cam, that is a series of counterbalancing. I mean, again, I'm not right. the, I'm not nearly as proficient with the, the knowledge and terminology of all that, but. It's a way to make those shots work when you're watching something where it looks like it's floating free. Correct. And, and to the point to where if you're doing your job right, no one's going to know you're doing your job right. That's the point, right? Like in terms of like a stylistic choice. But if you're overthinking, like, you know what I mean? Like it's like like you will look at a scene and be like, I really appreciate what went into that. True. And I do too, too. Like I, it's like. It's the same thing. Like I'll watch, like I'll watch football and be like, "That was a great pass." I have no idea what everything went into making that great pass, but I can appreciate the great pass. Right. I've seen. There's kind of a point in um, if if you're becoming technically proficient in filmmaking and things like that, you almost realize that your goal is to make your job thankless. Yeah. That- because you're trying to get them to focus on the acting in the story. But at the same time, you're setting up all these angles mm-hmm. and recording the sound and deciding when to play sound and when not to play sound to embellish or make them feel something in a way that they're not consciously thinking about. So that's that's why I think that's endlessly fascinating. Um, I don't have the knowledge of the patients sometimes. Like, that's why it's, you know, well, it's there, like a, I'd rather talk into a microphone and figure that right, out. But there's a lot of great examples of it yeah. in um, what we're going to talk about today. Well, for sure, for sure. And, right? and there, there's, a, there's a nuance in the tactileness that I think that, like, so... And I don't want to... I don't want to shit on, like, independent filmmaking because clearly, like, that's where... You know, people need to keep, if they have a passion, make it, do it, and then learn from it. Absolutely, you know, that's that's what I'm saying. But like, um, like and a lot of benefits to it as well, for sure. But like, like my the the my co-host on the show here, Steve, who is uh, currently not available, he would go. He has kind of a more of a stomach for going on like to be and all those other places and finding like the really low budget stuff that gets distributed there, horror movie wise. Mm-hmm. I you know I can accept it to a point, but there's also times where I'm like you literally have this ability and these are the decisions that you made or like, I don't know, like I kind of get, it's like, I get like a really, um, I should try to appreciate what these people were doing, but there's also a certain amount of like, you spent time and money making this and the, and like you could have thought this through better because mm-hmm. you have like considering like, you know, 
I mean, you're right. It's definitely brave of them to, to for make sure. the step to actually make but something I, out there. I remember when you were trying to find a way to make um, a, an ability to shake, uh, like, was it a lens to make it come out looking more like film grain in front of a digital camera? This was like years and years ago. You were trying to do like, it was like a little little box that you had that was vibrating a certain level to shake the, oh, the, right, the, right, yeah. to shake the image coming uh, in a little yeah, what, bit. What you're talking about to the people out there that are into the indie filmmaking was um, uh, called DOF adapter, where okay. we were adapting larger lenses to smaller cameras. So what you were basically doing was using a small video camera to videotape a projected image from a better lens that was projected on a glass element that had like a ground texture on it. Yeah. It's just that you were trying to get like almost that. like being on the opposite side of a movie screen where you could watch the movie backwards on the back. Yeah. So that's what I was videotaping and to get rid of the texture on the glass, I was trying to get a way to make it vibrate. Yeah. So, so. but the fact that you were doing that because you wanted something to look filmic and you wanted right. to look more like, 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 um, so here on the show, like we've been doing this. I was trying like, to hit the point where people would see it and go, that's a real movie. Yeah. That, d- d- the exactly. lay person would, would that's a psychological point in the lay person's brain that goes, that's a home video. That's, that's a, a real movie. movie. Yeah. What do you have to do in order to get the average person to go just as instantly say, because there's a certain amount that of, is there, a real it, storytelling movie. Instant credibility. Like there's a certain level of professionalism there. And like, um, and it also goes along with, we're talking, make your job thankless. Yes. They stop thinking about it. Well, so uh, here on the show, we've been doing a deep dive into Carpenter uh, and we're about to be done with that. Uh, but when we go back yeah, to a great, person to use for that yeah but like in terms of like he understood when he got the budget to do a solo in precinct 13 he made it a point to put a, a strong emphasis on the cameras being used there in the film stock I, and i cannot remember what it was but I'll you watch that movie that. but it's like it looks like a you know a big budget like release even though it's not and he knew that like yeah I understand that I only have like, you know, so much to do because mm-hmm. especially was the film after that, the film before that was dark star. Like, and you can, yeah, I mean, that's a student film through and through. I always thought those were, were no, oh, no okay. dark star was first. Yeah. And then assault on precinct 13, which I had never seen. No, until that's what I thought. The, yeah, I thought yeah. dark star was first and then it was yeah. assault on precinct. Yeah, that, you're correct. Yeah. But he made it a point. He's like, if I want to make a movie that's going to be released in theaters, it, it does look like better stock. Huh? Yeah. And, and, then, yeah. And, then, and then, and then even with Halloween, he knew mm-hmm. that, you had to have a certain level of presentation to be taken right. seriously. And, and Halloween was actually innovative in that regard because they were using the Panaglide, yeah. which was yes. And then like, and then even a different with, version of what you were talking yeah. about that I built. Which, uh, yeah, and like even with like the fog too. Like even though that movie's not the best, but it looks good. You know, like in terms of like what he wanted to do with that. But my point is that like he come in, he came in with a lower budget, but his understanding of how it works made it a successful product. Right. With what I'm saying, with with your your knowledge, um, it I don't know if it frustrates you or challenges you where you see people like we made a movie. It's like congratulations, you did make 80 minutes of something. Right. What What did you do? <laughs> you know? like, yeah, yeah. You, um, I don't know. I I think the biggest factor that you can detect whether or not that's going to happen if you're going to be working on something. Mm-hmm is you're looking for clarity of vision. And and that's like, does this person have, like if they shut their eyes, can they see the film? That if they can, they've already made decisions. And that's that's a good thing. Yeah. Which means you're not making it up as you go along. Yeah. Like like Hitchcock said, he, he, he said the most boring part of making a film was shooting it. 
because he'd already envisioned it in his head and the way he wanted it to look. And he's like, and cause he yeah. had that level of control, it was going to look the way he wanted. So he's like, I'm already bored with the actual shooting. It that, was, the, it like, was, he was at the point of, he was knocking it down after he had set it up. Yeah. Where it was. Yeah. And, and so to him, it was just the chore of getting, Get, getting his already yeah. completed vision like down on paper, yeah. basically. Ar- whatever. Right? like yeah. making the plans. They don't like pouring the concrete. Yeah. And so I get that, but, so with, with, you also yeah. those those of us on the ground a lot of the time notice that it never goes the way that you plan it. So you have to go. What did you mean by this? And what can we do within the budget, the space? Like how much square footage do we have in the room? Can it hold the camera? Like, yeah. So you know, so what have what have you learned in terms of? Because I know you do. You want to be behind the camera doing a lot. Because I think that's where you finally like that's. I think that's where your passion is. Because I know you did do some acting, and I know you still do. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I just, I mean, and I know we've not talked like actually quite a long time. The pandemic screwed everything up. Everybody, I don't know if people know that. Um, It got got weird there for a minute. Oh, just a touch. Just just a bit, right? Um, So I don't know if that's where you feel like where you want to be at more now. And that's where your proficiency is. Because I know that you were, you wanted to be involved in making movies. And I, I could tell that you were kind of, you were also like, if, if nobody else is going to do this, I'm going to pretty much learn every job so I can just go do this. Cause I, I got that vibe of like, you know, if, if we're not going to take this seriously, I need to know how to run this house, you know, like yeah, you, in a nutshell, pretty yeah. much. And whether or not I was right about well, that, whatever, but that's, um, yeah, I'm not, I'm not, sorry, I'm not, it is pretty much what I did. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I do like, I have an appreciation for all the processes and I, I enjoy doing all these different processes and you start to find out which ones you can excel at, which ones you can't. But the the hidden lining is you understand you don't work in a vacuum. Mm-hmm. So having edited my own stuff, I have a sensitivity sensitivity to what an editor is going to have to do with my footage. So you behave differently in how you shoot it. Yeah, having edited. So you probably noticed this as well. Like you, you do the thing where instead of going as soon as I'm done talking, I will hit stop and we cut. You want to maybe I, I maybe like, let that roll I, I, for about I, I, ten seconds. I want to be like, no, Pat, I'm sorry, I got to go back and cut all my ums and ahs out. Like and whatever. No, yeah. Well, I I found myself early on doing this thing where I go out and just get like B roll to do like a, a demo reel, mm-hmm. and I would be in the editing room cussing my past self out. Because I'm like, why didn't you just let it roll for five more seconds? Yeah. It was like the moment like this, like uh, like a heron flew into the shot and was going to go across. And you're not even looking through the viewfinder anymore. And you're just hitting stop because I don't know. Like, yeah. So you end up going, wow, you know, someone else is in the editing room cussing me out because I'm not giving them wiggle room or options. And so and then conversely, like, you know, as a camera person, I cannot count the amount of times I've just turned the monitor around so that an actor can see where their frame ends. Yeah. Because you'll watch them bottle up and go like, I don't know how far I can move my head until it's out of the screen because they don't, they have no idea what the image looks like. Yeah. They're in a vacuum. So you just turn a little TV screen around and they go, oh, and all of a sudden they go like, I can lean this far, that far. I know what I can do. And they get all loose and natural. There's more confidence there, but it's like also right. speaking Hitchcock. But I know yeah. I, I've been there yeah. so that I can, There know. was a bit in the film, what was it? I, I Was it I Confess? Uh, where the main actor, I forget the gentleman's name, was like, he's walking out of this courthouse and he's like, he's a, priest that's been he he is aware that someone confessed to him a murder but since it was confessed you know under like you know catholic stuff he can't he's he can't be compelled to break his vow right oh and when, and yeah, um, but okay. there's a bit where he's walking out of this thing where he looks up i think it was that where he he says um 
He's like, why would I look up? And because Hitchcock's like, because you're looking up. He's like, but I think it'd be better if I do this. He's like, I'm the one, like, I know what this looks like. You need to look up. Or like, it was basically this argument of like, right. I know how this is framed and don't do it. And then there's another one. I, there was another comment from another film where someone's like, yeah, but like, what if I do this? He's like, your head will be chopped off. <laughs> like he keeps telling them like, I know what's best. Listen to me. You need to understand. You know? Right. So I think that that's what you're talking about. Um, and, but then there's always a halfway point where if you're directing someone and it's just really the nuts and bolts, like I just need a shot where you come out the door and look up and there's mm-hmm. days where you just want to like shake people and go, just walk through the door and look <laughs> up and look mildly sad. Yeah. Why do I, I don't care. Just like it, you don't even know how it's going to edit in. Yeah. But the moment you start to step in their shoes and go like, all right, I'm going to give them a reason to be sad. It opens up this ball of wax where you go, you know what? They had a point. Yeah. Well, like, there's the give and take. Get, they think, it's yeah, it, it's yeah. The, so many things in being creative or working or inventing anything are not binary. It's like that great line that I think Seth Rogen's character in that movie had where he's talking to Steve Jobs, where he's like playing Wozniak. It's like, it's not binary, Steve. You can be a great man and also not be a dick. (laughs) And it's the whole thing of like, you can quickly get the actor to do what you want, but you can also make them feel not like a marionette. Yeah, no. And and be nice. And then also you're going to be like, wow, they came up with all this creative stuff because I gave them two seconds of my time. No, you you meant to say, is I created this. They're my marionette. No, I'm kidding. No, uh, no. So what if like so like now that you've been doing this for quite a while, um, maybe we like, should like talk about what do I do? Well, I mean, you, like well, I didn't like you. I know you have a, like a number of things you've worked on. I didn't know how what how specific you wanted to get into. Oh sure, uh, Oppenheimer just recently. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> I wish <laughs> it's it's the asylum version Chris, of Oppenheimer Chris, called Bomb Man. Chris, call me. Yeah, like no. <laughs> Uh, yeah, as of late, um, there's three main things I've been doing. I've been freelancing camera department, so I'm assistant camera, cinematographer, uh, focus puller. Um, I've worked for Full Moon recently. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was sort of uh, one of the assistant cameras, but I ended up kind of just in, to give you the real scoop, reality, uh, I was pretty much just like setting up and calibrating rigs because they move so quickly. Yeah. So it was, they had a few cameras set up. So they were like, we need a camera on a tripod. So they would grab a camera on a tripod and take it on set and bring back a camera on something else that needed a battery swap and a rig swap and a okay. lens change and a clean. And I would just be constantly doing that because it was constantly needed hmm. and it helped us move, but it's not always fun but you know like it, it makes that possible you you made the whole production work though and then since, since like they're able to like function the R- real, tr- real the real trick is that yes that's true but when you go through the other assistant camera and the editor and the director you realize that everyone saved the movie technically that mm-hmm. if you remove them from the equation you're like that movie wouldn't have, it, it would have failed okay. and broke and like yeah so everyone is kind of being an ego freak but at the same time you have to go thank god for them saving the movie because <laughs> they, they did and um so yeah i've been i've been doing that in a similar productions locally um been working on forming a production company with some people that's kind of on the download we'll keep you okay. posted on that yeah. um uh, I've also been working when with... When you perform that production company, is there going to be some type of Bitcoin part buy-in? No. That, oh, okay. No. All right. Sorry, no, everybody. Was, uh, no. <laughs> everybody, everybody, buy Patcoin. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Thank you for delegitimizing what I'm about to start and <laughs> making it sound like a con before we even step out the door. But no. It's, <laughs> it's the Ed Wood coin. No, Please but yeah, no, Paul, you're right. Watch out for stuff like that. Um, 
I've been working with uh, Cleveland not-for-profit for, geez, uh, 2016, yeah, well, I know you a lot of teaching too. I know there's yeah, every yeah, so with, often, um, yeah. It is now, it's, it started out called the Lakewood Young Filmmakers Academy. Uh, it was based in Lakewood, Ohio, uh, outside of Cleveland. Uh, we switched it to Young Filmmakers Academy because you don't have to be from Lakewood to take it as long as you can get there. It's a program that is pretty much middle school age through high school. So mm-hmm. up to when the kids get hooked, they stay until they're like a senior in high school. And then a lot of them, Poor kids go off to film school because we've <laughs> we've we've ruined them for the real world. Yeah. No, no um, try to make it a bit easier and go like this is what to look out for, and you know, well, good because be, like, be practical, yeah. be safe, that kind of thing, and we create a safe environment where it's basically a bunch of guys and girls that we said like what what was the constant difficulty in finding out information, learning things, and what didn't we have access to. So that's what the organization tries to cover. Okay. And they do make exceptions on age. So we have had some like second and third graders in there that were just very precocious and knowledgeable. And it was just silly to keep them out of the program. Mm -hmm. So just some really bright kids. A lot of them become award-winning filmmakers. We've had some kids that have gotten scholarships to NYU. Oh, wow. 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 Uh, Yeah. there's There's a girl that I mean, it's kind of ironic when you hear that a student you had that you helped them make their short film that got them into NYU, which was the same program as like Spike Lee yeah. and Scorsese took. It's the exact program. And you're like, can you tell them to like, can, can let I, me in? Yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> And then you grab them and say, if I do not hear my name in an acceptance speech, I will shake you. Yeah. <laughs> but, <laughs> no, like you're kind of like at the, the, the same time, you're like, wow, what I did worked. And it, that's what I was setting out to do mm-hmm. was kind of make it so that you could arrive at film school with a proficiency that you didn't feel completely lost. Yeah. And and sort of make it that you were further along than I was when I was in that position. So it's, it's a really great program. Okay, good. And, and then uh, please give me that information. I'll put it in. Um, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I'll give yeah. you the website. And yeah. um, if you have any questions, contact them. Because mm-hmm. oftentimes, like I said, if, if, you're, if there's distance... And things like that. If even if cost is an issue, uh, there are so many scholarships available to take the program hmm. that if if money's an issue, if distance is an issue, hit them up. If if this is perfect for your kid, if they're into writing, acting, uh, directing, yeah, I'm, I'm, if they're talking yeah. about tech stuff that goes over your head, then you're not alone. And <laughs> I'm, I, I wish I had something like this as a kid. That, like, I that, think that would have really brought a lot better focus. That are, and and uh, you just, I can't believe I almost said that. All the teachers have worked in the industry. Mm-hmm. They have a degree in what they do, and they've worked in the industry. And you that's kind of the, the hurdle I had to get through to get the job there. But um, And why they hired me. But yeah, they, they're, they've realistically worked in the industry, and they will tell you what's up. And, you know... Okay. All of those instructors have at one point or another behind the scenes said, man, I wish this was around in 1970, whatever, when I was doing it, et cetera, et cetera. So, I mean, we have a makeup person that has been in the industry forever. And, you know, oh, and also I hear about that, like, like pre-internet, you know, yeah. it just well, sounds like. <laughs> well, also being like, you know, like Northeast Ohio focused. Right. Um, that is because um, I know like, I mean, people will like dismiss uh, Cleveland as an area because it's not like a bigger. I mean, it's not, you know, what it once was in terms of size and whatever, but that just you don't have to go to a coast to get education. I think that's important, right? Like I just, true. And I think a lot of that plays into the fact that 
places like Cleveland or Atlanta, et cetera, have done things to keep education and industry around here that normally has hotspots in like New yeah, York. Yeah, I mean, there were, there, I mean, I know there's Vancouver, a lot of tax breaks. Los Angeles. Yeah, yeah. And the big thing is like, I know that, um, what was it? The Russo brothers were like, if we actually had a soundstage, we would do a lot more here. Yeah. yeah and, 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 and then that didn't happen. You're trying to, <laughs> uh, but it's, you know, it's difficult. And because yeah. there's the few times where it would come in handy, but then the rest of the time you have something collecting dust because yeah. it's not, constant <laughs> yeah no i just um like I, it's fair but yeah i just i think that's a, a wonderful resource we'll we'll get the website up when i post the episode i know that my footprint is much significantly smaller than than their footprint but you know any anytime you shine a light on something that i wish i had you know like because right. uh because for me um you know i realized that like as long as i've known you i know that i'm a very frustrating person in the sense that like i'll have ideas but i can't execute um, and like, I, like, I always, I almost feel like I was born to be like, like, a, like almost like a, like a, like a story editor versus like a story writer or something in the sense of like, where I have this, like, I have this compass in my head of like, where something rings true or not, you know, in terms mm. of what I think our story beats, but I can't always write them out myself. I don't, you know, it's just like, I, th- that's me being full of myself, but I know that I've not been able to produce the way that I thought I, I always could. When it comes to something like this, where er- people will be like, oh, anybody can talk into a microphone. I disagree with uh, that. Yeah. I also think that content creation goes in a couple different directions. Right. Um, so I have found, I think I found my stride here. Um, it's just that, you know, like it's always like, but I wish I could do this as well. You know, like I always wanted to be a writer. Like you're talking about like the frustrating elliptical thing of, of, I know I don't know things, but I don't know enough to ask the right questions to find out what I don't know. And and, and, and I just get I get page locked. Like the the whenever I try to do anything writing wise, it's like it just becomes like a field of like all the what ifs, you know. And it's like I I have a hard time. I haven't sat down and write, written in quite a while, huh. uh, but it's like one of those things where like I'll have like I'll have a crystal clear idea of like like uh, A to B sometimes. Well, even like even A to B, but maybe not B to C. And I know I've been reading a lot, like over time, everyone's like, well, sometimes just get out out there and then you'll figure it out along the way. True. It's just, you know, it's hard to get over myself to do that. So hmm. I will say that this isn't a therapy session for me in terms of creative output. What, Could you unpack that for me? Yeah, right. Yeah. No, um, like like my co-host Steve, he is, he's he's written comics. He's in the middle of publishing his series with his partner, Ryan. Oh, cool. And like they, like he has a clear cut story he wants to get through and it's like, and like he and I will talk about things and it's like, he's like, you know, we'll pull apart stuff. And it's like, I wish I had that. I feel like there's something that like, I get frustrated where I can't put that, the output the way I'd like, but I think something like this, this is much more, it, it, it came easy to me in the sense of like having a conversation and engaging with somebody. It sounds like you're putting um, yourself in environments that force you to make decisions. Maybe because um, yeah, I just maybe you're just constantly getting tripped up on that because you're like, I have two good decisions that I could go in, yeah, but there's a five percent difference or, in quality, or, or, or there's 100 no, different positions, dear yeah, God, like you know, well, because okay, so like, we'll, I mean, we'll you put hear it to, any that, director's commentary and you hear them lamenting what they could do, but and like, that's like the whole thing is it's it, you're what, talking what about Carpenter, he has one of my favorite quotes where when you start out. You have the difference between your taste and your proficiency, and it bugs the hell out of you because yeah. you're sitting there going, I love these great movies or or podcasts or what have you, whatever creative endeavor you're in, and you look at the people you admire, and your stuff looks nothing like it, Yeah, and you don't know why, well, and you have to shift mental gears, which is frustrating, into self-education and 
mode. Well, it, I think I think it's something that you and I were talking before we started recording, where like there is that thing of like you can take uh, um, a creation and run with it, but sometimes it's hard being the one uh, creating the thing. Meaning, like, how many times you have you and I have like uh, separated? You'll watch a movie, and then you're at a certain point. If you've never seen the movie before, you call out the dialogue as it's about to happen because you know exactly what's coming. You're in next. the rhythm of the, yeah. E- e- so yeah. what I'm saying is like I have that you know capacity, and there's times where I'll call out things as they're coming because well one if the story's told well then you yeah, should. I mean, musical yeah, yeah, people talk yeah. about this where they'll play a song they never heard and they'll pause it and they'll riff and it's like. So it's somewhere in the ballpark yeah. of like, like you can, you know. So what I'm saying is uh, my convoluted way um, is that I think I'm, I I can hit those beats. It's just sometimes getting bet- getting between them is where I struggle. Right. So like that's all I'm saying is that I have found my output here. My my creative like this scratches that itch. And a lot, but but also I'll put it the same way to you where, um, you know, sometimes the last thing I want to do is turn on the mic and talk, you know, like I'm just like, right. I'm not here mentally. I'm not here. Right. But so I have to, I have to like hype myself and get up. Right. So like with you, like you, you, know, you are doing things that you legitimately love, but sometimes when it, it feels like a job, it's a very frustrating thing. Doing things so, that you love that you don't always love doing. Yeah. Like, like <laughs> yeah. I, I love yeah. this. It's just that like the, right now in love, um, thinking about having to prepare another show, not in love. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> If they, it's yeah. not the same thing, but you know what I mean? It's like, it's the, the process. I think we're, yeah. I think we're having a, 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 we haven't seen each other in a long time when we're turning it into a, a creative a, person yeah. therapy session. Yeah, about, whatever. No, no. But in terms like, of like, just, no, but there's I, a lot. I, I think it's fair saying. Yeah. yeah. And but, I, I think people that we all know, and I'm cutting off, I apologize. Welcome to the show. Uh, <laughs> uh, it's just, um, you know, there's people that like, like, um, here, like, like, like my wife, she said, she says, I'm not a creative person. I'm like, my wife. And I was like, you are creative. It's just, you don't, view your creativity the same way as others. Like in terms of like how you're talking about judging levels of creativity. Yeah. Let's I edit th- a documentary about you with a PR campaign to make you look like a visionary. <laughs> and then you'll realize that's 90% of it. Yeah. But I think everybody's creative. It's just a matter of like finding the thing that like, you know, yeah. if, if your creativity is like, um, I'm going to make like this room in the way I appreciate the, like, so you're doing a, something for yourself. You're doing a thing. Like she likes like, um, she, <laughs> this is funny. Uh, was a few years ago, I went to like the Lego store and bought like a big, like cup of this random Legos. And I'm just like, I haven't had Legos for forever. They're really expensive. Now they used to be the poor kids toys. Anyway, you had to build your own. Um, and I sat down and I made like three different spaceships because that's what you do with Legos. You make spaceships, right? You, I made my own transformers growing up because I didn't have them, you know, like, mm-hmm. and I, I told her, I was like, well, here you go. And she's like, well, I don't know what to make. I'm like, just build. And she's like, I don't have a pattern. Like basically, she was like um, one of those characters in the Lego movie. It's like I'm a builder. I'm not a maker. It's mm. like I'm like I'm like no. You just create, and it's like she never had that experience growing up of just creating. Right. So she doesn't think she's creative. And then there's this mental block um, that she can't just snap stuff together and start working uh, as you go. And yeah, it's like, no, there's yeah. people that are talking about that with um, it's a real thing, and it doesn't mean she's not creative. Mm. But but they're talking about that with like uh like the whole. We all have access to, you know, Skillshare and these educational things online. And it's like they will teach you advanced techniques with like art supplies and paint and and drawing and all these things. But when to do what thing and when to do certain things and whether or not to choose a still life or whatever, they're creating an educational primrose path for you Mm. and making the decisions for you. So you have an atrophied portion of your brain that... 
it's almost the thing of like, just try it once. Just you wing realize, it. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. yeah. It, your C plus decision is actually way better than a C plus. And you yeah. just, yeah. So and it's not that important, but the thing is like, I do notice that myself where, yeah, you're like, when do I do what? And <laughs> also I think that we, we did not have a lot of that where I feel that that part of my brain was tickled as a child because my parents were so annoyed with me that they handed me art supplies <laughs> And said, "Go in, a, go in a corner. I can't handle." I know you're laughing because you know my parents, no, that's, 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 and you know how they react to me. No, just, <laughs> just go away. Just, know, just knowing your parents and knowing you and your siblings, and how okay. you're all three very different, but also very similar. Yes, I can I can so, attest to that. Yes. Going off that, a lot of it wasn't. I wasn't going off and drawing these elaborate paintings that came later, and then they wanted to put me in these art programs. I was seeing how the supplies interacted. Mm -hmm. So I would take the two paint markers and go that yellow plus blue makes green. Mm -hmm. And I that you'd end up with a bunch of blobs that even I, as a child, would throw out because they knew it wasn't like any. <laughs> but, you know, you understand, like, you have such a contextual thing of, like, yeah. how does how runny is the paint and all that. And I feel that, like, that portion yeah. of getting it, and you do the same thing with Legos, where you're like, which pieces fit together and which don't? So you just have a day of, just you messing know, around and just figuring it out, yeah. Futzing around with Lego, and and then but, and so yeah, there is a serious portion of the brain that is atrophied, where it's like, let's just go muck around with a camera. Yeah. So that's and what I'm see saying. See what yeah. it does, exactly. and yeah, that's and what, that's what, what we to. would do. Let's go get in our car and drive around and go nowhere, and like and that whole generational thing is like, please give me the A to B step by step tutorial yeah. off like, YouTube on how to live. I had <laughs> I, I had a filament three D printer for a few years, and I can tell you, I discovered every single way to not make a print work, um, <laughs> um, and I eventually gave up on it because I just couldn't. Like I was just like, I there's something here that I am missing, <laughs> right? Like I kept making like Brundlefly abominations every time. I'm like. <laughs> I want to make this nice little pattern I found. I'm like, oh no, I have to kill it. Yeah, no, you know? a, I think maybe 3D printing is a bad example of that because I think that's everyone's reaction. Yeah. Well, I have a resin printer downstairs that's been in a box for like two years because I'm terrified to use it because I'm like, if I did that, not only am I going to mess this up, I'm going to poison myself. So I, I, I'm, I'm trying to hold off on that. But let, let me round this back to you, your uh, filmmaking experience and then we'll get to the Thank head. You. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm sorry. I just, no, because I was just me. thinking, this like, okay. Yeah, no. So, the the time that since the time I've known you and you dipping your toes and 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 learning for yourself and where you're at now with the projects that you're working on, right. um, where do you think in terms of your perspective? Like, because um, I know, I, I know that um, you have strong opinions, and I, I love that about you. And you <laughs> but it's like as we all get older, like we do have our opinions, but maybe the edges get sanded off a little bit because I think that's like fair. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. where are you at in terms of like um, your passion and with your technical skill increasing? Like, um, how do I want to phrase the question? Uh, and, and since you've been working professionally, what has been the thing that has surprised you the most? And also the thing that this far along that you think you would probably, you think you'd have a better handle on, you know, I think, I think those, uh, those are two different questions I know, but what has surprised me the most? Oh, that's a tough one. Well, um, that's fair. Like, I mean, maybe you know. that might be more recently, um, is, how much, and I know part of it's COVID, I know part of it's technology, and I know um, this has been a constant influx situation, but how the delivery of, I think, entertainment gets to us has changed so much. Oh and, my goodness, yeah. And, I've, and, and this is from someone that hasn't dealt with it a lot, but at least 
like I said earlier, kind of had an understanding from a distance of like, I have to eventually like cross paths with if I make something, it has to get to a distributor and get to a theater and get to an online streaming service. But the business behind that of like how you raise money and who gets money and all that has completely, like I am completely lost, right? At this point in time, completely lost, like as to how that's changed. So... Well, yeah. So I feel that, like I have a grasp of it maybe 15 years ago. Well, there was the project. And now guys, it's just what is the update and to how, like, yeah. how, how do you make sure you don't cheat people is kind of me yes. being a Midwesterner from Ohio. I don't want to go on like I made a ton of movie and it's there's a trail of angry people that were shorted. And it's like, <laughs> unfortunately, there's some truth behind that where it's like, well, that's just the business. And it's like, well, you're a sociopathic narcissist because. Yeah. You could have told them that in advance. And you know. well, so there was the project that you worked on years ago. At one time, it was called was it uh, Cleveland? I love you. And I, I don't Correct. know if it yeah, changed. Yeah, yeah. There was a different name for it to begin with, right? And then it was like I Heart Cleveland the, the, or something. The, the, the original one was it was similar to the series of films that like, um, yeah, with like New York Pre-Asia I Love Town, You, yeah. and, and, then, and then very quickly two things happened where it was too similar to that previous title. At the same time, that kind of the identity of it had shifted where, you know, there's the old adage, you, you make a movie three times, you write it once, you shoot it once, and you edit it once. <laughs> and it completely transforms every time you do that because yeah. you realize, like, we can't shoot what's in the script because although it's great, it's just not... Like, it's not feasible. We're not on the moon. Yeah. Like, we, can't, yeah. we can't do that. <laughs> Exterior moon. Exterior night. moon. I mean... <laughs> I mean, there's ways to do that, but you're not always in that position. And then, uh, and so, yeah, so they, they changed the title to Made in Cleveland, made, which is yeah, how it exists today. Okay. And you can find it on Amazon and many different streaming. Yeah. Places. But, like, but like when that came out though, the road to get that actually distributed seemed right. to be very um, slow moving and difficult. Right. And that was like the, the, uh, you were talking about me making that lens adapter. Mm-hmm. Um, this is the point at which, DSLR HD video cameras were small and affordable and produced an image that with the right lensing was narrative filmic, I guess you could say for the first time. So the color looked good enough, the character of it, and the, like the style of it, it didn't look like a cheap video anymore. Okay, that's that, yes. Didn't yeah. look like the news. Didn't look like a soap opera. It just like those things are like that's not a real movie. Like and people, you, uh, those of you out there that don't know the tech nuts and bolts of why it doesn't matter. You just know it doesn't look like a real movie. Yeah. So for the first time, for those of you that do know that, this was about when like the Canon 7D was coming on the scene. So it was a very early DSLR camera that was. I don't know. I want to say it was about 800 bucks when it first came out, Okay, but but it wasn't expensive, but you could make something that looked somewhat decent if you added some extra stuff to it and lit it right and did all this stuff. See, That's that's the thing you're talking about, like the minutia around. It's like, you got it. Right. And and, and what's interesting is that you have those commercials now where like the, the Apple iPhone will come out and they'll go, this commercial looks like a movie. And it was shot completely on the iPhone. And they're telling you the truth. It was shot on the iPhone. But what lights are they using? Yeah, yeah. What's what's the knowledge going on behind the phone to what, make it work? Yeah. What nine thousand dollar gimbal is it strapped to to move it? <laughs> I mean, which snow machine did you rent to make the house covered instead? Yeah. Those professional actors. Uh, what brand makeup is on their skin to make it look luminous and like they never get acne, which they do like everyone else? Well, but, like I have a, I have a portrait mode on my phone that I take all the photos of my cats and that they all look amazing because it's a right, portrait mode. Right. But it's like I. 
I understand how to work like actual frame of like working in the quarters mm-hmm. and actually mm-hmm. making it like, you know, I, I remember my Ansel Adams knowledge, right. Of right, using right. the grid pattern. It's like, everyone's like, like Mary's like, I, you should, I wish I remember the name of the photographer, but fantastic photographer. And he made a coffee table book that was all, um, his iPhone, Instagram, and the preset filters in it. And it was just an experiment. Just to see, yeah. But, just like, but, I'm going to do it the wrong way that all the pro photo- photographers yeah. are, are are bitching at. But I always view it as a gateway drug where it's like you get these people that go, I took a neat photo. Yeah. And, and like, then you go like, wait, is there a way to do that without all the cheat modes? And then you realize you can do it. Yeah. So And like, it actually looks better and and you're good enough to do it. <laughs> yeah, like Mary's like, you should make a calendar with the cat photos. I'm like, I just use the portrait mode and I know how to crop shit. Right. Well, you know? other people have done it that are professionals. <laughs> so, you know. So this is the second question. Where do you think, where you're at in your knowledge, like, where do you think that like the thing that you th- thought at this point in time that you'd be like, you know what? I got to handle it, but then I don't got to handle on it. Because I think. Everything? That, <laughs> no, I mean, Life. joking aside, I. I think the further you dig into something, the more you realize. I think what it's just hitting know. middle age where you kind of just go like, "I'm okay with the destination being different." Okay, and I'm okay with like just like that's just going into anything. You go in blind, and then you go, "This is where it's similar. This is where it isn't." And I don't know. Uh, hmm. I also think that you can have some hindsight and realize like I got real lucky there with how this turned out without me knowing what I know now. Like, I'm sure there's probably times where you're like, you know what, that could have been absolutely worse knowing how much I just kind of assumed that I knew what I was doing. You know, like I just, maybe I'm saying that out of, out of turn, but like, Oh no, there's, uh, I I think you kind of get hit a point where you realize you're doing that in the now. Yeah. And, and I always use star Wars as an example. And I don't know how much of this is apocryphal, but I know I've done it and it's like, I've gone into interviews with, for cinematography jobs and but not, I know how to do that. I can do that. And I'm taking notes as I'm doing it. Going like, <laughs> look up how to like, like uh, yeah. what are affordable deep focus lenses that can do like, you know? Okay. And so like, I'm taking, I'm like, yeah, we can do that. And then like, I walk out in a panic. going, I have no idea what I'm doing and I have to go look that up. And that's sort of, I guess, when they finally got the money for Star Wars, they're like, are, are you, "Is this this is going to look real? It's not going to look like the way ships on strings look in all these sci-fi yeah. movies." And they walked out going, "Oh yeah, we have all these tech wizards that no, like they're reinventing the wheel." And then they walked out with the check, and when we really have to figure out how to go do this, <laughs> and that's just that's you know, I, yeah, that's, that's fair. Sort of how this you know, there's other people's money behind it. You have a deadline, and you have an artistic thing that whether it's something like Star Wars or whether it's an indie film in your backyard, it's literally never been done before. Yeah. You're so, doing something that's never been done before, so you have to just, like, it's like enough. a train's been built, it's running, and you're building the track in front of it as it's coming at you. Oh, you mean like the Texas Chainsaw Massacre as they're, like, moving, like, when they kept moving their, ste- like, their steady cam, they kept moving the track as they're shooting the shots? I've never heard that. <laughs> no, because they didn't. They only had so many segments, so they kept running in front to move the that's camera the around. That's the perfect analogy for yeah. filmmaking yeah. and how you have to yeah. problem solve. Yeah. Is, so, okay, one what last we question. Yeah. We've been talking for 40 minutes here already, so thank you for your time. And everybody, welcome to the show. We know we go on forever here. Maybe you just make um, this bonus material? No, this is the beginning of the show. <laughs> oh, cool. Um, like, it's oh, real. It's real. Real talk. Um, oh, you know what? I forgot my question. You, just, you, you, you shook me out of it. Let's, let's no. rewind. No. <laughs> <laughs> no you, had a, you, you were talking about... Um, <laughs> oh, no, about the analogy. Like, we're talking about like what you don't know. And then yeah, 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 um, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, and then you mentioned Star Wars. So, yeah, that's the question I was going to ask you. 
do you, which I know you've worked in various levels of budget from nothing to next to nothing. Forgive me. <laughs> <laughs> you mentioned a full moon. So, all right. So, um, <laughs> um, we, uh, we, we've gotten the hard sell from, uh, from people trying like, we would go to like the wasteland convention here in Cleveland. We've gotten the hard sell to be like, you should come up with a streaming service. So I'm like, I'm good. I don't need, I don't need access to all the puppet master films all the time. But anyway, so do you think that you work, not, maybe not better, but you have to work harder with, with when you have guardrails, like of like saying like you can't do this. Like in terms of like when you just mentioned about like like writing a film, shooting a film, and editing a film, um, they 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 change because of what is what's envisioned and what comes out are different. Maybe not you know good, bad, otherwise. Do do you think that you work better when you have a certain like um, limitation? Because then you have to you have to have what you have and make what you have work. In certain instances, yes. In certain instances, no. If okay. you're talking about it from the direction of, like, this is the budget, this is the budget, this is the budget, I think it's a good thing. Yeah. I think I think when you have a deadline, it's a good thing because it does the thing where it is forcing your brain to flex the muscle of make the decision. As much as I hate deadlines, deadlines are important. No, no, I agree. If you they, don't set deadlines, things don't. No, happen. no, no. I yes. And, that, I, I trust me. I know. Like again, right. talking about my inability to so, produce in certain ways, having accountability. That's exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, hmm. Yeah. In in other ways, such as like, uh, if you're talking creatively or like, I mean, I just said the budget is the budget is the budget. But if the whole thing is like you need a, a shot of a starship that's mm-hmm. a model going across the screen in your film and someone's going, there's no way that can be done. And someone goes, there's a way we can do it with the budget. I think that. That's kind of a moot point because you're constantly going to be pushing that envelope, whether your budget's two million or you're, yeah. you're you're trying to make it look like you have more than you have constantly, and that's the whole thing. Is that like if you see a movie that's a huge budget, the, those people making it are trying to make it look like it costs twice that much. I mean, didn't like Tarantino purposely like he he knew he couldn't shoot the the actual robbery in Reservoir Dogs. He was like, we're not going to show it. Like we're just going to like cut around it. That's our story. We're going to show the aftermath because we can't. I don't have the money to actually show the bank robbery. Uh, I don't, I I don't know. I, I get the strong sense of no, because from him, I, it would be the thing of like, I'm not trying to remake city on fire. It's an inspiration for this, Okay, but the movie I'm trying to make, that's not the interesting part. So why show it? It would just feel like, that makes sense. It would feel like a pause in, 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 because it's character and (laughs) well, but then, but then he went ahead in the hateful eight and was like, you know what? I'm going to show everything eventually anyway. Like, (laughs) You know, like with with the Domergu gang or whatever, like hiding underneath yeah, it. Yeah, but yeah, I get that he was making a point, but it's like he could have easily not had that. But it, it's sorry, true, I'm, true. I'm, I'm getting way way far afield. I apologize to everybody. Like, welcome again, welcome to the show. <laughs> um, um, but yeah, uh, so yeah, okay. With all that being said, we've been talking for 40 minutes now. Let's let's get into the masterpiece that is the hidden. You ready to talk about the hidden? I love the hidden. Let's just get into it. And now for our feature presentation. All right, tonight's future presentation is 1970, 1978, 1987. I am dyslexic. I like came out of the gate strong with that yeah, one. I did. I did. Um, <laughs> I, I mentioned my birth year versus when this film came out. 87's The Hidden. Uh, it was uh, directed by Jack Shoulder, um, who also, let's get into who did what here. He directed the film called Alone in the Dark, which I've not seen from 82. I haven't seen it either. And um, I don't think it's related to the video game series. It's not. Um, and we'll get into like, he, like, 
I've heard pretty good responses to this Same. film. He then went on to do um, after was a, he did Nightmare on Elm Street two before this, mm-hmm. uh, and then which so I he, like. Yeah, it's it's an interesting film. A lot of people um, don't, but yeah. I like it. Well, there's like the, that's been getting a lot of love like re, like there, it's people coming around to it again right there's the, there was a documentary about that that was talking about like the um the like the the queer portion of it i forget which the, i get yeah you i forget, know, I forget I, the I name of the documentary might have a problem with the movie but yeah. then you realize that no one like yeah is it called scream queen i forget the name yeah, of the actual it, but yeah, the intentions like that, of yes. the people working on it weren't necessarily and this is just true in filmmaking but you what, look at the coding of that film but like right yeah, but it's been getting a lot more appreciation. I and did like it. We're going to get into that a little bit yeah. here because I came to conclusions about the hidden that the writers and directors might not have meant yeah. for me to come to. So, so two things here. One after Friday 13th had become a hit new line was looking to make its own horror movie. Mm-hmm. Shoulder then came up with the idea for alone in the dark, which he wrote and directed. Right. Um, uh, Bob Shea uh, was the guy that trusted him to make the film. You'll, this will tie into what we talked about earlier. Um, Cause um, uh, shoulder was an editor coming okay. into this. Yeah. And he said, Bob Shea trusts me with the film because I was an editor and he knew I'd get all the pieces. Exactly. Whether the pieces would be any good, who knows, but at least he knew I'd have a film. So thank you when you talked about like, mm-hmm. like being mad at yourself in the editing room. Right. He at least trusted him to make a complete film. Right. So then, and, uh, and I feel yeah. it's better to, uh, start at the end of the process and do something in reverse. Yes. So you're more likely to go, oh, this will need good acting in the right angles. And you would know that as an editor, as opposed to like being a good actor and then going into like the filmmaking process and be like, wait a minute, why is this all out of order? I never and shot coverage and I don't know how to do match angles or eye lines or yeah, anything else. I yeah. yeah. It's completely yeah, yeah. in a vacuum yeah. to you at that point. So I thought that I thought you'd appreciate that. Like I was an editor. Yeah. So then he would go on to make nightmare on Elm street Two, uh, Freddy's revenge, which was a commercial success. So he got offered about every horror script in Hollywood. So he said that like he didn't want to do another horror film, but the new line offered him the hidden, um, which is a hybrid uh, cop movie action sci-fi. By the way, again, um, we please, if you've not seen the film, um, I'm going to put the ones out there right now. Do you know why they are called spoilers? Um, just watch the movie. It's three bucks to rent. Watch the movie. You could do way worse for 90 minutes. Yeah, and make a point. That I'm glad you brought up spoilers because this is a good one to go into not knowing... <sighs> The better. It's almost the thing, like, you know how they advertise Terminator 2, where you knew the twist yeah. in the advertising, but then you realize the film later, it was supposed to be a reveal. Well, it, like, not that, to not to drag this out too much, like, I ended up watching the new Flash movie this weekend because it's on Max. Okay. I just, like, I, I was like, I want to turn my brain off, and that's a perfect film to do that. Mm-hmm. But the fact that the, all the marketing was talking about, like, seeing Keaton is back as Batman and whatever, it's like, I almost wish that as much as Ezra Miller is a very problematic person, and I do not, like... It's whatever. Um, right. If I would have just watched that movie without any inclination of where it was going, I think I probably would have popped in a different way for it. But the fact that like Keaton as Batman was front and center, it, yes. the movie, the movie treats it like it's a surprise, but you like, so yeah. So the hidden, right. So it was yes. engineered to be a <sighs> yeah. surprise. Yeah. Terminator but 2 was engineered the, to be a surprise. Right. Yeah. But those movies have an issue that the hidden did not. That's is fair. that someone came to them correctly and said, we crunched the numbers and show that you will make a bajillion more dollars if you advertise it this way. And yeah. they're 100% right. Does it take away from the movie-going experience? But then again, people lament about like, I, it's a, that's the art, what the artist intended. And it's like, yeah, but you wouldn't get this art if there wasn't an industry to so the, do it. Yeah. You know? so, um, so, like, so then after, so after The Hidden uh, came out, um, it, 
Uh, it was not a commercial success. We'll talk more about that later. Um, but like he said, a shoulder said in an interview, it tested through the roof. Rightfully so. Right. But yeah. It's good. Yeah, it's good. And he's like, like it was going to be a huge hit, but then the movie never broke through. He's like, everybody in Hollywood loved it. I was a hot director for about six months. <laughs> yeah. Because, I mean, yeah. you can tell he's got it. He's got it. And But he has, he didn't go on to do too much after this. He made a few more movies, but not much. Right. Yeah. So with that being said, yeah, I think, um, I, you and I both like we like one of our uh, uh, positives and negatives is that we absorb everything in terms of like reading things and like I'm always um, like, we don't even, always keep it straight but you know what, no, what I'm saying is like <laughs> if a movie comes out I have a couple couple different avenues of like people that review movies that I trust their opinions okay because they're like they're kind of more in line with myself. Mm-hmm. So if I can get a vibe of like all right worth my time not worth my time so I end up learning a lot about films. Probably more than I should. And I don't surprise myself anymore. Like, I don't, like, you know what I mean? Like, I don't, um, what was the last time you went into a film completely blind? I, I tend to do it more lately because of streaming where there's no risk involved. That's like, good. Because there used to be, it used to be a financial risk of like, and a time thing. And because the whole process, you know, I, I'm reading other um writing books again because of working on and it's it's a bit dated so they're talking about the writers talking always in reference to um these people are going to sit down in a theater and they're going to invest mm-hmm. their time so it's still the same but i feel like it was a bigger risk to just go you know hit play on something and then stop because you you you're you're, mm-hmm. you're stuck in the theater watching whatever it is yeah so there used to be a bigger risk involved in that but so i do go into things blind but yeah like if you're saying like you're gonna go out to a movie with friends how often do you go into that blind you don't yeah that's true because it's like you also kind of want to feel like old adage of like hollywood doesn't want to take a risk they want the they they say the Mm -hmm. thing it's almost a joke give me the same thing only different yeah so for me i um i think um so the last thing i went into knowing that there was actually a pretty good vibe but i had no idea i was getting into this is like maybe two or three years ago have you seen psycho gorman no oh my gosh it is um it's from the astron six guys uh that did like um what was it um oh people like i'm I'm gonna fail for all this but but um i'll look this up in a second but imagine like imagine like um kind of like an um a kid's movie from the 80s that has like um over the top like villains from like a power rangers type of setup right but the whole thing is that um it would have a toy line tie-in it it would but this is a hard r movie okay Uh, but it has the same type of like mentality where there's these brother and sister that they're like younger but they like you know the the sister is kind of like bully the younger brother the older brother's a little like you know mealy like you know like you know oh whatever like he gets bullied by the sister, but they're, they end up uh, uncovering this amulet in this backyard that un, like is basically connected to like, um, this, like, like on like this alien being that was like a destroyer of words worlds, but he's punished and sent to earth. Mm. But since she has the amulet, this girl who's like 10 years old and sassy as all get out controls this guy. That's this destroyer of worlds. Interesting. Um, and it is a lot of goddamn fun okay. because like it takes the piss out of this where like he talks about his big backstory and she's like, that's, I don't care. That's not important. And then she, she like they ended up coming up with the name. She's like, you know what's cool name for you? Psycho gore, man. I don't like that name. I don't care. I have the amulet. Right. right. <laughs> like, um, I cannot believe you've not seen this film because it's right up your alley, but I'm saying like, I, but you went into it blind. Relatively speaking that I knew that I had friends that liked the output from Astron six 
and the things they've done. Because they did, uh, was it? Um, I'm going to look the, look this up right now. I forget the name. There's a film called Manborg that they put out um, that was very low budget on purpose. Um, but they're a Canadian outfit that have done things like um, they actually they did the Kickstarter thing with like uh, the Void in 2016. Oh, that was cool. Yeah. It was cool, not great. It was but, I, right, but yeah. I, I just appreciated where like technically it was executed yes. very well, and it was trying to do something that very Carpenter throwback. I saw that in the theater. Right. I, I was frustrated that the story didn't connect, but the the effects were amazing in that. I, yes, I, I don't know, I, and we'll get into this with the yeah, hidden, yeah, yeah, but yeah, but um, ambiguity can be a good thing. It can be. And, so, and yeah. we feel the need to give everyone the uh, Wikipedia summary of everything. And it's like, that's not how reality works. Not that's everybody fair. is an expert or not. That, everything. That's exactly right. So anyway, so Even yeah. the experts in real life, you're but, just getting the best explanation right now as of today. Yeah. So with, remember but, Pluto used to be a planet. <laughs> <laughs> I still is justice for Pluto. Yeah, sure uh, it is. No, what I'm saying, like for me going in something like completely flat footed is rare. And so right. the, with uh with mary my wife uh she my wife, my wife um she if, if it's not in her orbit she doesn't know about it so mm. she is the person that is like the best person to show something to because she has no idea what she's getting oh, into that can be fun yeah it is a lot of fun having um, like a liaison um, into like stuff you wouldn't normally come across like years what was it oh it was saves a, you a lot of time and well it's <laughs> I, like i wish that i had the same type of reaction to things know, that see, she did that, it, there's that whole thing of like before the internet record stores and movie video places had the guy yes the girl and i was the guy yeah, where they you either wouldn't know what a movie was, and I I love that because I used to use this as an example. You just did a show on the Wraith. You know how many times people didn't know what that was and came to me and were like, "Okay, so there's cars and there's Charlie Sheen." I'm like, "The Wraith, it's over there." Yeah, then, well, like you and I both worked at a video store, different ones, but I remember I, <laughs> it was one of those times. It was about to close. It was like people walked in, like I want, I want like a good movie. And I walked over and handed them Citizen Kane, and they were mad at me. <laughs> <laughs> Like, all right, then you don't know what a good movie is because that's just, that is a I just, guarantee. And it's one of those things. I'm like, I know what they're asking for, and I'm like, I, I had no patience. That was the one you uh, you're also supposed to, supposed to give either Citizen Kane or another um, like It's a Wonderful Life to people when they would complain about the cropping of the yeah. the widescreen when people didn't understand. Like, no, that's the whole movie. Yeah, <laughs> and oh, then you oh. just give them something pre widescreen, and you go there. Yes. Citizen Kane. I, it's I also remember <laughs> when I was working at Blockbuster, that was the first Twilight movie came out. We're supposed to do tie-ins. And one of the tie-ins I put was Harold Ahmad. <laughs> and, and made co- you think. Yeah, because yeah, I was like, I didn't care. I'm like, they're like, well, I'm like, why? Like, well, it's an old woman and a young boy. Just flip it. <laughs> anyway, there you yeah. go. Yeah, anyway, let's, let's, get, let's move on Lolita here. Lolita up there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so, oh, so yeah, yeah, continue, no, okay. continue on. Yes. Right, uh, uh, this was written by uh, the hidden was written by uh, Bob Hunt, uh, actual name Jim Kauf. Kauf. He ended up writing a number of different screenplays. Actually, he was a successful screenplay writer. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I want to point out that he wrote Stakeout, and I think he was given the credit for the characters for another Stakeout. Whatever. Co-writer of Rush Hour. All right. Co-writer of National Treasure. And then he actually did a lot of producing. He's the executive producer of Con Air, mm-hmm. all right, which you know is one of the greatest goddamn movies ever made. Anyway, put the buddy in the box. Anyway, uh, from so. what I understand, there's portions of the hidden that are his that are untouched, and a lot of it is his dialogue because that's what everyone else liked about it. Mm-hmm. So that um, 
It's basically, I tried to do some research on this film, found out it's a little hard to do research it's on. It's hard. And then yeah. if you push hard enough, you will start finding things right before you have to record a podcast. No, I also, I, I, so I, I'm I know, a bad person. I have the Blu-ray and there was commentary tracks oh, I did okay, not get cool. to. Yeah, um, yeah. I know that there's the one line where, uh, what was his name? I think it's Sanchez or something where they're like, they're asking how far away the Ferrari is in the beginning chase yeah. and they have the roadblock there. And he's like, he's like, it's not close, but I wouldn't go get coffee, coffee. or nothing. And it, it was like, <laughs> it's a cool line. And they're like, that's, that's Jack. That's Jack's line. And that's why I thought the script was cool. Cause it's like, there's a ton of that. There's a little bit of that, like kind of like snark that the, works. Yeah. I guess the yeah. ambiguity of how, it, like, you know, like, um, McLaughlin's doing the Obi-Wan Kenobi thing where yeah. where he's not lying to Beck, but it's like what he's saying is true from true. a certain point of view. Where it's like especially upon a rewatch, everything he's yeah, saying is you, true. Like, you haven't been able yeah. to keep up with him because he keeps changing his identity. And it's like, well, kind of. Yeah. So okay. So we'll, we'll credit to the, the screenwriter, which again, that is something that I think yeah. that's not a lost art. It's not something that is it people can learn from. Um, again, this is not this is not the greatest film ever made. However, there was a certain level of of of, of expected uh, expecting. You know, if you're going to produce a film for you know, like what was this? It was the budget at the time was allegedly five million dollars, right? So you expect a pretty well rounded script. All things considered, if you're going to wreck Ferraris for your movie. You should. <laughs> yeah. uh, all the cassette cassette tapes gone anyway. So, <laughs> um, so yeah. Anyway, so we get into the cast here. Like I, I don't have much, but. Kyle McLaughlin, never heard of him. Kidding. No. I just want to point out that, like, we we know him now. Like, I follow him on social media. He's the most delightful man, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I love him. His wine company, Chased by Bear. He'll post videos of being him chased by a bear. Like, he is a delight. And he <laughs> is he has um, done so much to cultivate his image. And knowing that he was in college doing, like, theater work, well, or just sl- shortly after graduating college where – um, whenever he got put in Dune, right? Like um, right. David Lynch was like, people are like, you should talk to him. And they got him in there. So Dune was his first actual film. He was, sorry, he was an extra in the changeling, got paid $10 for that. But um, yeah, something yeah, like that, yeah. yeah. Um, so he goes from Dune. Uh, that was a box office failure. And then he would go on to do this. Um, and, but then he would go on to do Blue Velvet the same year. Right. Uh, and cause so I guess for this, he wasn't cast until like a week or two before the production because they, there was a tough nut to crack casting it. Yeah. They're always on IMDb. Everybody and in the world is like Stallone, Schwarzenegger, so-and-so, so-and-so, so-and-so like is always. Yeah. They went through yeah. and, and I guess it was, they didn't want people wouldn't commit to it because it was always in flux as to who was going to do it and how much money it was going to be. Yeah. And so it didn't come together and they sort of realized that him being kind of more youthful looking and just a really strong actor. Well, and also cheap because Dune didn't take off. Like I'm going to guess yeah. that he wanted, you know, so he took this. And they I, worked in the line of, they must be recruiting him right out of high school. Yeah. Cause he, Jesus Christ, he yeah. looks like that. Yeah. So I want to point out, here's a quote here. Um, so when he, um, he was in blue velvet, mm-hmm. uh, which received more positive, positively uh, feedback. Of course it did. Right. Reflecting on his enduring relationship with uh, David Lynch in a 2012 interview, McLaughlin remarked, David Lynch plucked me from obscurity and he cast me as lead in dude in blue velvet. And people have seen me as this boy next door cooking up something weird in the basement ever since. <laughs> right. <laughs> I think that's fair. So, um, I, I, I mean, Kyle McLaughlin seems like a nice human being. Um, I, I love his turn as the mayor in Portlandia. Absolutely. It's just as much as that show is very hit or miss for me. I love him in it. Right. You know, like it's just, but also like, 
when I see him pop up and stuff like also uh, I think yeah. he kind of got um again we've been talking about making your job and the complexity of it invisible because that's not what's important mm-hmm. and and I feel that culturally we tend to focus on that in all forms of art like how hard was it to record the song to sing that piece to make this painting look photorealistic and that's why most people that don't understand like modern pop art, go to a museum and go, my kid could do that and go, yeah, but your kid didn't. Yeah. Also nobody did it before so, that. Yeah. Kyle McLaughlin ended up playing, I think in the new twin peaks, he played agent Cooper yes. and he played Dougie Jones. And then he played like that evil version. I think that he's playing a total of three to four different characters that have the same face and he's making it work. Yeah, because he would go on after this to really, Twin Peaks, it, which that's where his ascendance came from. Yeah, right? there was yeah. there was like a buzz about how he was like he did such a good job that it wasn't getting noticed and he was getting overlooked for certain nominations for awards when that came out because it was so seamless. But yeah. anyway, I could gush about Kyle McLaughlin. No, like as an I just wanted I just wanted to mention where he was at in this point in time because his right. career is but he's, he's had, really good. <laughs> he's had a very much more successful career after this. Like right. let's be honest. So right. then so then the next person we're going to talk about here is Michael Nori as Tom Beck. Um, mm-hmm. The other, the officer that we see that's very much put upon. So he was in, I, I wrote, but I wrote to, I meant to write 1983 slash dance. My note says 1933 slash dance, which was the Nickelodeon where they just showed ankles the entire time mm-hmm. and a light mist on the ankles. It was different. You just, and you had to stand in line because it was a Nickelodeon and you had to <laughs> one at a time view it through that viewfinder. Yeah. So his career, uh, not the same direction as, um, as Kyle McLaughlin. He did a lot of theater work. But then also I want to point out that in, uh, he did um, a, a GoBots film, Battle of the Rock Lords, as the voice of Boulder. Uh, and I'm bringing to to Pat right now. You can't see this on because like, we're not recording this on a camera, uh, which he I, I did not keep is, this is from this, him. Is this his character? That, that's actual Boulder. I, I'm presenting Pat with a Rock Lord. Um, and I know what a Rock Lord is because I also had... <laughs> A rock lord figure. Yes, um, I had the one that had the 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 wheel in the bottom. That once he was folded up, like fully transformed into the rock, okay. you could rev him up by pushing. Yeah, because that's him how up. wheels. That's how rocks work, right? Yes, they 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 are <laughs> unicycle type motorized vehicles. So so I I have a boulder figure that when I was doing my notes earlier today, I realized that I had this. I'm like, oh my gosh, right? See, now that I look at it, it's it's it, it, it clearly Michael Norrie right there. <laughs> No, um, this is a joke from uh, from my other show, Strange Highways, because we're covering the 80s iteration of the Twilight Zone. And I referenced something about the year the, the GoBots Rock Lords came out. Mm-hmm. And my friend Richard, who was on my last episode of Invasion, we talked about um, Graveyard Shift. Nice. Um, that's a fun movie. It's yes. not great, but it's a fun movie. Uh, we talked about that in the short story. He gifted me a Rock Lord because he thought it was funny. And I didn't realize that there would be an actual connection from last no. episode because he gifted me okay. Boulder. Right. And then I looked There's up. There's nothing funny about Rock Lords or GoBots. <laughs> Rock Lords and GoBots are very serious business to yeah, me. Yeah, right. And yeah. Um, th- we could actually dedicate a whole different episode <laughs> to yeah. the Transformers GoBots issue as to why I think the ultimate measuring stick of the quality of show is the ancillary human characters in each of those properties. <laughs> But I will always be confused about Rock Lords, where it's like GoBots. I get you're like you're, you're Transformers. You turn into vehicles or whatever. Oh, Rock Lords! Like, what is your okay? You're a robot, and then your other form is a rock. Okay, so here's the problem with GoBots. <laughs> GoBots yes. invents the thing, and then it, you go like almost, but no, oh, it's cute. You tried, 
And then Transformers comes along and goes, here, let me show you how to do this. Re- yeah, no, no. But it's yeah. like, it's always the same thing. Like there's, there's an alien species that is a transforming robot that comes to planet Earth and accidentally thinks that machines are the dominant life forms so that's why it mimics them that is both of those shows no you're you're mentioning what was it uh the hitchhiker's guide to the galaxy where ford prefect it's like the car it's the same concept <laughs> no the uh, optimus yeah. prime outright mentions that that's why their cars well, no the, no the if you look at like i think there was that the toys that made us episode that talked about transformers how it was like a mesh of like three different like toy lines in japan mm-hmm. this is how, important you hire a filmmaker to come on your show and talk about the hidden we're talking about these toy no, what i'm saying is like go like the, like they're parallel tracks with that but anyway i thought you'd yeah. appreciate that yeah. michael nori was the voice of uh, boulder who we have here in studio right now right so. <laughs> no anything to do with rock lords or gobots or toys and, and also i know you I, so much that you like when you I put it fully when, appreciate this when you put out you're like is that one of those rock transformers i'm like you're stepping on <laughs> yeah. the joke when we took a break i pointed across the room and it was like is that a rock lord <laughs> i meant i meant to keep it in my pocket but it was like really like was cramping my leg i, I anyway. ruined today's episode <laughs> <laughs> anyway moving on um oh, so then God. we go from um Chris, the, the other people I mentioned of note, uh, Chris Mulkey, who is Jack DeVries, who we see him in the beginning. Mm-hmm. Uh, like He's one of those guys. He was also in the, the 84 film Runaway, which we've not talked about on the show, but yes. I, I really want to because that movie's dumb. They all get that's out. Right. But he I, is but, in that. Yeah, yeah but I love, I love that movie. It's so stupid. I love it. Um, so he was also in, um, uh, what was it, a lot of TV. He's just one of those guys. Like uh, you, know, it's, yeah. you see his face. He's also in the 90s iteration of Captain America. That was the Albert Pion Captain America film. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's, that's one of those things. It's like, oh, you got a half right. And the reason you got a half right, because you didn't have a budget, right? So <laughs> you yeah. weren't given enough money to screw it up more. <laughs> no, but uh, no, Albert Pion was like, you know, we lost him this year. I like a lot of his movies. We, we lost him this year. And yeah. it's, it's unfortunate. And true. Yeah. It's like, you know, like he always was entertaining. And Whether or not I liked all of his movies no, or not. That, that Captain yeah. America, it has moments where you're yeah. like, you're like, there's, there's something but here. Before before we got like the modern Marvel films, right. I'm like, that's the best Captain America movie we're going to get. Right. <laughs> and and it, it had enough good moments that you're like, okay, okay, yeah. Mm-hmm. So then next year, I want to mention William Boyett, who is Jonathan Miller, who is the person that we see the most of Right, being occupied. Um, I want that car. <laughs> a lot of cop roles. I'm Who'd fine. have thought? Yeah, yeah. Uh, did he I, actually talk that way? That's he did. I, he did. Yeah. Yes, okay, that's yes, what I thought. Yes. I seem to remember. Like yes. I was trying to think of the yes. other things I've seen him in. I'm like, yeah, he does just talk like. Yeah. Uh, and then Claudia Christian as Brenda Lee uh, von Buren, who is the 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 lady of the night. Sorry, stripper. Mm-hmm. Uh, she her big thing is Babylon Five. Yes. Uh, but also she was like, I was in this. This is my leeway. Like she's like, I understand sci-fi stuff. I'm gonna good on her, right? So I, I appreciate that. Yeah, she has um, a reputation for being like a real good sport. Yes, yeah. yeah. She's, and I think yeah. that plays well with like with sci-fi stuff. You can especially with like at this time, like the way women are treated. And there was also that, trivia about that. how like they're like, oh, your your uh, your uh, your boobs are under like they're uh, the, you know what they're not performing well. We're gonna focus on your butt. I'm gonna go out on a limb here and say that maybe she was already extremely attractive. Yes, and, and there was nothing that they no, needed was, to worry about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like um, you know, what a date. Anyway, mm-hmm. so no, um, <laughs> so then uh, Ed Ross is Cliff Willis. Um, he was the, the part, like one of the, like one of the guys in the, like, he's the one at the end. That's, I love him in red heat. Yeah. He's also, uh, he plays a lot of Russians, (laughs) uh, action Jackson. Doesn't he speak Russian? 
Uh, maybe I don't know. I didn't. Look I seem to remember yeah. something about him where he he plays a lot of Russians because he can get the accent down and he speaks the language because I think he's the son of immigrants. That makes the, sense. He, he yeah. looks fresh off the boat, like like he, he. But he's one of those character actors again. He's like one of those guys that you see and you're like. Mm. I also confused him. Yeah, with, this movie's full of the character actors that they're that guy, and yes. um, not only that, but they're the caliber of character actors that you're like. This movie got better because they walked on screen, like. You get people like that. Yeah, I always confused him with the one gentleman that was like, not like, whatever they, not Deep Throat, but like the the guy that knew too much in the X-Files. Like that was in the early seasons. That like, he looks almost like, like, um, almost like that. I don't remember the gentleman's name, but I was like, I kept, I was like, is that that guy? This is a bunch they of that guy. similar films. hair. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, and then, um, <laughs> but he was also itchy in Dick Tracy. <laughs> That's Okay. <laughs> But Action Jackson, everybody, if you want to see a film that makes no goddamn sense, but it's so much fun and like it's it, Action Jackson. Oh, it's so much the opening sequence where that one guy gets like launched out of that like like that like big like glass building just being <laughs> on fire. It's amazing. It's, it's amazing. Worth the price of admission. Oh, it's so good. Um and then I have Danny Trejo as prisoner. <laughs> That's one of those moments where he's so quintessentially himself before he was famous yes. that the whole theater goes, that's Danny Trejo. Yeah, yeah. So so I, I will say was a, a year or so ago, I was in um, Pittsburgh for one I of think the you conventions. Did, when we first watched this movie together, you did. You were like, that's Danny Trejo. Maybe I did. I just like, uh, but I, um, when I, when I, I, I paid for a photo op for Danny Trejo, because uh, it's like, it's Danny Trejo. Because he's you know, awesome. I mean, yeah. And I went up to him. I'm taller than him. Um, yeah. Um, but I went to him, I was like, your death and death wish Four is my favorite death ever. Um, and he was like, <laughs> I'm like, yes. Cause not only does, uh, Charles Bronson shoot like a rocket launcher in this like restaurant when it cuts, there's clearly a mannequin that's supposed to be Tay Trejo. It's amazing. Anyway. Um, but yeah, that was him. I thought that was the dude that was from Willow. Uh, maybe, but Danny Trejo is in Death Wish Four. He is, um, and yeah. so is um, Alex Winter. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Um, <laughs> I think that's then, one of those things where, like, the movie came out after Bill and Ted, but was shot before Bill and Ted. Yes. Like, uh, and so the last, the last credit I have, which you'll appreciate, is Jake as Roy the dog. The dog. Oh yeah. <laughs> what 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 else? What did uh, Jake go on to do? Uh, Nightmare Four. So he didn't, yeah. So (laughs) there's a, there's a, there's a bunch of people that either did, um, Nightmare on Elm Street 2 or other Nightmare on Elm Street movies. Like, um, um, oh, what's his name? The guy that's the, uh, the chief. Yeah, I didn't, I meant to, I meant to, it was hard because like. Cliff Dennis? Is that the the actor's Um, name? I know he plays police and stuff and, but, um. I'll look it up right now. So yeah. Um, yeah, we have, we also like Clue Gallagher. Yeah, yeah, but Clue Gallagher was in, uh, he was, I want to say he was in Nightmare 2 with uh, Jack Shoulder directing. Probably. And then I want to say it's just one of those coincidences where you have a lot of people that did Nightmare on Elm Street movies that also did this movie. Yeah. So I was trying to follow um, uh, is it uh, John McCann that was Senator? He was the one that... No, that was the Senator. He's the one that's uh, Chief something. Yeah. Anyway, so but but yeah, I was trying to like trace those that were occupied. Was he the dude from Reanimator? No. No, he's not. The Senator. That's not. Like, I know you're talking about, but they look alike, right? It's like, yeah, like copy paste, um, square headed, uh, blockhead dude. Yeah. So probably works for OCP. (laughs) 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 He really supports the Ed 209 program. Right. So, 
Um, Who so cares you, if it worked? <laughs> um, I recently, it was the last couple of years, I re- revisited RoboCop 2. Um, this is <laughs> Electric the, Boogaloo. Yes. Um, I got to tell you, the bit when they go through the original like like line of like the next Oh, it's line, the best part of the movie. Uh, I talked about this during that episode, but the bit where the one shoots everybody around. No, no, no. It's not the one that shoots everybody, but the one that just walks in and just takes the, the helmet, helmet off and, up screams. and screams and then falls down. <laughs> when I saw that as a kid... I couldn't stop laughing. And it is amazing. That's one of those moments as a kid where you either have your first inappropriate (laughs) laugh at something where like, (laughs) you know is wrong, but, or you have nightmares about it. Cause it's, it's actually horrifying. Like it it, it is horrifying for that thing to live. Yeah, but it's still funny. But it's I, hilarious. So, yeah, it's yeah, meant what, to be funny. What is your purpose? You spread butter. What a, I, I, so. <laughs> it hurts to live. <laughs> Existence is pain. No, so, all right. Um, what right. I'm going to put it to you. What is the basic premise of the... We already did the spoiler alert, but what's the premise of the hidden? Well, they kind of throw you into this thing where you're watching something unfold that gets weirder. Yeah. And it's brilliantly shown to you through the viewpoint of a surveillance camera. Doesn't that feel bank. like that's like an early precursor to some of the found footage stuff? Because you get the bank teller, like the bank. I did find footage. a little bit about why they shot it that way. Okay, good. Okay, please. I think it works for it, and I think this is a running theme with the hidden. But I guess it was um, that was a shut down bank, like right across the street from Grauman's Chinese Theater. The okay. interior was, um, and he convinced them to let him shoot it because he's like, "We're going to do it as a surveillance thing, all one angle, so it'll be really." easy and that was their thing and then they thought it was cool on top of it and so that's kind of what you're constantly trying to do in the filmmaking world is go the creativity and the money making has to meet but um you get to see a regular everyday joke just kind of snap as they're doing a money transfer at a bank and he picks up all the cash and shoots out the uh, security camera and a bunch of guards with a shotgun but this is a fixed angle we get like this kind of like like you know what is going on slice of life right before he shows up wearing the trench coat and then him right just and then like that sequence is very engaging it's very off-putting but i think a a lot of what these things have to do have to do with povs yes and and, um so he leaves and then you're like wait a minute why is he robbing the bank why is he getting in a ferrari and why does he care about putting in a cassette tape of heavy metal music like he's robbing a bank and, he and he's not even robbing in a full. He's just grabbing two bags of money. Like it's right, just he's like, just grabbing you know, a ton of money yeah. and and going off. So you're like, what is the, like? I'm jumping into something already in progress. What is going on? And that is sort of the viewpoint of the main characters of why is someone that has no criminal record going and doing all this stuff and getting in a Ferrari, getting in a police chase, and then eventually that ends up in a police roadblock where they are forced to shoot up this Ferrari. And the guy gets out and laughs at them as the Ferrari. He smirks. And it's just boom, 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 boom. Yeah, like, he, it's starts, just... he basically starts laughing and then the Ferrari explodes and he gets shot up and gets to his hospital and everyone's like, what the heck is going on with this guy? I just So the, the least part of this film that I believe is that they would let him live. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. He's a white guy. I'm All right. sorry. <laughs> okay. All right, you went there. He's a white stockbroker. I have a feeling that that was an editing thing no no i understand that it wasn't the intent of like we get okay, the story no, but no like, what yeah. paul's talking about here is that <laughs> a guy gets out of a car unarmed wounded laughs at the police and doesn't go for a gun and they shoot him up and that is 
Okay, I'm not going to unpack that. But I get the feeling that then they shot it. He originally did go for a gun, and they went, oh, the pacing's off, and they cut it out. No. And and now that doesn't play so well today. No, no, no. I think the original cut was, I'm standing my ground, and they just opened fire is what happened. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, I mean, there's a... That doesn't I feel threatened in today's world. It doesn't play the same way as it did in 1987. No, but I also think that like a white stockbroker, they're like, you know what? We're going to take him to the hospital. It's fine. You know, like, you know, I thought anyway. you meant more the police just opening fire on someone that they've already caught. No, 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 no. Both things are true. Okay. You know, it's yeah. Anyway. But anyway, the, the, what the audience I feel is supposed to get out of it is why is this guy? It's, it's a really good doing opening. This. It's very yeah. off putting. It's very upsetting. Cause it's like, we understand that like, He's not getting out of this, right? This is supposed to be the end of the movie, right? In terms of like most of the movies we've seen is... They tell you what's been going on, like what the, the trail of destruction this guy has left. Well, we find out later, but I'm saying like most films would end with this type of like uh, rampage or shootout and that'd be the end of the... Like Bonnie and Clyde. Right, right, right. That'd be the end of it, right? So, right. but we like the thing that's off-putting is like, oh, this guy's been like acting like this for two weeks, didn't have a prior record. Um, and then we, that's when we, um, like we find out that like eventually our, our, whatever main characters, well, one, uh, Lloyd Gallagher, Kyle McLaughlin, um, you know, of, um, you know, uh, Grizzly two fame. That's not, I don't think he's in Grizzly two. I'll look that up anyway, right. uh, of Dune fame, um, comes in like, and talks to Tom Beck. Wait, who's the wasn't one- he in Showgirls? <laughs> maybe no. i don't know i probably i didn't go because he's been so much right yeah, like yeah, yeah. i just and, i if i ever meet him i just want to shake his hand and like if he'd let me hug him like i just you know, like <laughs> thanks just for you know, the good movies yeah and it's th- just thanks for being a nice guy mm-hmm. like if we find out that kyle mclaughlin is not only like pursued by bear but also like like punching that bear and killing the bear i'd be very upset anyway so mm-hmm. yeah i'd be sad right so no but the whole thing is like beck is like a homicide detective right and like the whole thing is like he's overtaxed and i also like this is so i'm gonna put it to you we're, i know we're getting into this and we're talking a lot but i like that like we getting we're getting some structured banter in this like you know in this like whatever you call it like the the officers working amongst their desks right that they, they they're in the trenches brothers in arms they're dealing with like horrible things every single day right but we get a little bit of like like personality where Beck, mm-hmm. like he's like, oh, I'm working this one case. And then when we get, um, you know, um, um, Lloyd Gallagher coming in, like I'm FBI. And then Beck's taking his file and he's like, oh, I got to drop it off. And the one guy's like, don't do it. Right. But I, like we get like a little bit of that slice of life. You get enough of a hint of the camaraderie yeah. and that they, they they have a rapport. They're all human. Yeah. Right? And like and, and no, no pun intended for the film, but like we get a little bit of that breathing space. And for considering this thing's only like an hour and 40, that's not a commodity, right? Right. You have to be careful about doing that. You have to be careful about the economy of how many ensemble characters you have. You have to be careful about, because you run into the risk if you want to make them interesting, but you almost accidentally get to character development and then you're abandoning a storyline almost. Yeah. Cause I think that it's, um, especially the way we've been taught as an audience, to dig in, but give us a reason to cheer for somebody mm-hmm. quickly. Mm-hmm. And I think this film, like you have to cover a lot of ground quickly. Yeah. And, and I think they call that laying pipe. Yeah. Or like, like, like we didn't, we don't really get a saving the cat moment in this, but like we get like a little bit, but meaning like we want to cheer for somebody like, right. we, like even like we like just, we, we need to be like, we need to be on the side of somebody. Right. Right. And so like, um, so like, I think that, 
there's also the thing too earlier when we get like the chief like trying to like tell the other guy like oh there's the detail it's coming for the senator he's going to be like becoming like wants to run for the president and he's like if beck goes the whole department's going to collapse like he's being exaggerating but it's like beck is the workhorse he's the guy right right like don't take him off of homicide if you put him on like the shitty detail we're we're going to be wasting resources so we get that so we know Beck is good at his job, but also like he doesn't like people. Oh, you're talking about basically the the Mad Max scene that they have. <laughs> There's yeah. an identical scene in yeah, that's fair. But the like, original Mad Max. Yeah, yeah, but the whole thing is like we find out that like Beck's He's good at his job. He's the best I've got. You can't take him away. <laughs> <laughs> but at the same time, it's like we understand that like he is kind of rough and tumble. Which I, like as much as we've been kind of like force fed that like oh police that work outside the lines is good. We know that. <laughs> We know that's not in terms of cinema. Okay, fine. Like, I don't know if he necessarily does that, but he, he's, I, I want to say he's almost jaded a bit. No, that's fair. But I'm saying in terms of like how we, we've been always out, been presented, yeah. like how police work where it's like, Oh, like this guy, like he gets results, but maybe you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. Anyway. So yeah. Yeah. There's a fine line between like the person that finds the way around the problem that normally Versus can't be found abusing it and they being an asshole becoming yeah. a fascist. Yeah. <laughs> or yeah. Cause that's the whole thing that you yeah. could argue about certain comic characters that they might punish things and i'm not no pun the punisher no that one's done on purpose he's on purpose yeah i'm sorry i'm I'm sorry it's when they modernize batman it's that becomes a sorry you meant yeah sorry okay we're getting we're getting off track or homelander sorry not the punisher the punisher doesn't like cops anyway so um for reasons right? right um so uh rightfully so but yeah, the whole thing with like Beck being like, I'm being pulled off these cases. I'm run ragged because I'm trying to chase this one guy down. He's been on a rampage for two weeks. And then so he ends up like, you know, like, fine, like Gallagher, what do you, what's going on? And then Gallagher's like, well, I need to figure like he's like giving him very limited information. And the whole thing is like, we don't like Kyle McLaughlin. I like that he plays his character because he's very young looking and also very aloof. But also you get the vibe because of his station as an FBI agent. Like meaning like I can't talk to local authorities because I don't know how to interact with them because I'm FBI and we do things differently. I like that. I think that's interesting how he keeps flashing his credentials. And then also like just kind of waiting for everybody to catch up to him. But he's not giving them everything. No. Because that's the point. Like right. so that's kind of yeah. the repeat viewing thing you're talking about where yeah. he's like, trying to be just detailed enough you know you know that i'm a sucker for when you watch something a second time when it's very obvious but you don't know it's obvious um i will put out like uh, shawn the dead that film is very obvious the entire time but you don't know it the first time watching it Mm because the mirror the dialogue mirrors itself when you like when especially at the beginning when um uh, nick frost character is talking about like how they're going to like like their next day um, have they're going to do something, 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 Bloody Mary, blah, 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 blah. He's literally so- talking about the next day with the zombie invasion. He does not right, know. Right. I love, I love, I love dialogue that's on the nose, but like you don't know it. I don't think we said what the twist is yet. So well, we, we, have, the, we, we might have a spoiler, bunch of people here going we did like the spoiler thing already, previously. listening to us yeah. talk about something they're going and we're never completing the no, sentence. We already did the spoilers. <laughs> the spoilers is that. Um, the, 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 the character that's running around loving Ferraris and, uh, cassette tapes is a slug being that is basically, um, like a B side from a doctor who episode. Um, I, it's like, an, it's an interplanetary space fugitive. Cause they mention enough stuff where 
It's a being that can jump inside the bodies of others and use it as a host until it gets too destroyed or worn out and then it has to replace it. So yeah. he talks about where he's just like, yeah. this is better than being Altaran. Altarans are filthy people. You know, like he yeah. says that great line. But then also Kyle McLaughlin's character, spoiler, again, we put that spoiler warning out. Right. He's also similar. Like that's, that's my one nitpick of this film. I just wish they were the same species. Cause like the way he shows it. Right. Yeah. You know, and, and, and like, well, here's the thing too, is you get the sense that that is actually what the, the bad alien that is jumping from body to body and stealing the Ferraris and doing everything. I get the sense from watching the film that my own interpretation is that is its root biological form. When it comes out of, um, what's the actor's name that plays DeVries at the yeah, beginning? Yeah, we, ta- we talked about him. Uh, um, shit, I'll find it here. Uh, it is... Bu- 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 so bu- after, oh, yeah. after the big car chase at the beginning, they send this guy DeVries to the hospital and after they've shot him all up, after all the police leave, the big twist is, uh, and I Chris remember, Mulkey. Chris I remember Mulkey. Chris yeah. Chris Mulkey stands up. He wakes up out of this severely burned coma, and he's in a hospital room with another guy that's also yeah. in a coma. I remember watching it with you. He walks over to him, opens this other dude's mouth, and then an alien comes out of his mouth <laughs> into the other guy. And Paul has no idea this is a sci-fi movie. He just knows that the police have shot up a guy that's on a rampage. Yeah. And you you just were like, what the? <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm just like, all right, I guess we're... My thing is like... And for 1987, it was done really well. My, my, only, my only nitpick is that the body mass could have been reduced because it's like, that is a large, significant being going in, right? Like, because like, yeah, what, what is the, what's the creature in, uh, what's the, um, uh, Jazia Dax in Deep Space Nine? She's a trill, a trell, right? Yes. Her character was, it, um, like, like that Terry Falwell, Farwell. Anyway, she played Farrell. the character Farrell. Like she was like, like a person that had a being inside a her symbiote. Yeah, yeah. And the symbiote had lived multiple lifetimes. Right. It's the same idea, right? Like, well, kind of. See yeah. what happens is when in this film, after they, and they clearly state it, that the original person is basically erased and gone and dead. But in that one, the it, body it, it, cannot go on and live. In, yeah, in the other it, one, it's more of like nothing is lost, everything's gained. So you retain all your memories of being both yeah, people. Yeah, but, but when but when the host passes, that's when the other one leaves. But right. it absorbs everything, and it's still it can it remember still being the other yeah. person. It can remember yeah. its host body's childhood. Yeah. And so I, I get it. yeah. So anyway, it's like it's like that, and like I, it's just. So yeah, but also with uh, Kyle McLaughlin's character, where it's like he's just, he's just a being of pure energy. I'm like, I would have preferred it, like, because it's like you know what, bullshit. If you're both off the same planet, which they are, because the sequel hints that, like, you talk about a biological track. There's a sequel which I've not seen. I don't, I'm getting. Is there a sequel? I, yeah, there's a sequel. Yeah. All right. That they say that like, oh, all the bad aliens are slug people and all the good ones are pure energy. I'm like, what is this Scientology bullshit going See, on? I, I know that they they show that like there's a different body transfer because they state that the body that I don't I know they say that his real name. No, they mentioned that um, um, his it Lloyd Gallagher it, is not Lloyd Gallagher. He's assuming the role of another person that was right. an FBI agent. There's an FBI Stone. agent, Lloyd Gallagher, it, and then his, he the is in the body of Robert of like something Stone that was a Stone friend yes. of him. Yeah. And they were on a camping trip in the woods and there was a fire. Or a fire. So yeah. it's almost hinted at that that was the event at which these aliens arrived at Earth that caused the fire. Or, that well, that they or, were exposed to. So you're stepping, what's great about this movie, you're stepping into the middle of stuff that's yes. happened. I mean, or that this 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 character is like, you know what? I understand that like we're losing one 
and I don't want to like I don't want to take advantage of. But right. I understand that being an FBI agent is an advantage to me tracking down exactly. this other one, right? Exactly. Like, so that's fine. It's just, I don't like that. It's like, I don't like the whole idea of like, oh, the bad aliens are slug people I know. and the good ones are And we've talked about energy. this before where yeah. keep it aloof because the, the, the audience will make it work. And here's an example of that, that I always took it as that the slug thing was the original biological form of the bad guy. That it's yeah. an intelligent space slug that uh, co-ops people's bodies. Yeah. I took it that Kyle McLaughlin's character had the ability to do that, but that may or may not be his actual inherent form. And that's fair. Very much was, like, because I, well, I'd also seen Starman. So, and they yeah, talk about that. Thank you. No, no, no. I was, I thank you because. So you not get a little bit jumpy. Yes. Yeah. Yes. No, I think that like this and Starman would be a good double feature. Oh, totally. I, the, I, um, I adore Starman. Um, and I was telling, I, when I, we covered that for our year of Carpenter, I, I was it about a year ago. I remember watching that film. I was sitting downstairs. I was bawling my eyes out. And my, and my wife's like, what's like, what's going on? I was like, we don't deserve this. We don't deserve this type of kindness. Have you ever, been, have you been, had you been drinking? <laughs> yes. Anyway, <laughs> what? Anyway, regardless, like Dutch apple like, pie. Yeah. No, no, <laughs> no, but it's just like, we don't deserve this type of like, you know, Again, another great yeah. example of like legit actors bringing, uh, I think the other, like le- this le- other, yeah. no, no, but yeah. re- real actors that bring legitimacy to something that could really be a goofy idea. Oh, for sure. Cause this, like these B movie concepts where it's like, you're an alien disguises. Like that could be really dumb. Let's face it. The people that are judgmental of those movies, they have a point. Well, considering like, we love that stuff. Considering the end of this film, it sounds dumb is, is the beginning of Starman in the sense of like, the co-opting of a loved one, right? Right. That's the beginning of Starman. This is the end of this film. <laughs> like it is. Like you're like, right. oh, that's way darker. But anyway, but, uh, and we'll yeah. get to this yeah, yeah, later. Yeah, yeah. But no, but how I, does the end of the film work? Was kind of ambiguous. Yeah. So uh, regardless, we talked about like the like the transfer of energy, whatever. Yeah. So you were saying um, you kind of like the fact that there's that similar dynamic where they both can transfer into other host bodies, but you kind of like, I get, I've heard that before where it would be simplified if they were the same thing. But then again, I kind of, uh, I, I think it's an easy out. I don't know if I, it's like, right. oh, he's pure energy or whatever. But if you're saying that like he, like it, it, according to the mythology of this film, not the sequel. I also that, think it's a good thing that exploring that anthology raises too many questions because he talks about having a past with reproducing with another of his kind and all this stuff. And it just sounds too corporeal to be like, we were floating around as balls of energy hanging out and something came along and I just needed needed a cut scene of some slugs humping. That's what I needed. No. And then also I always pictured that whatever this slug thing is came and, and took over whatever he is. And that's when his partner and wife and child got killed. But yeah, I, I always took it as like, in order to come to Earth, he became this energy. It's never stated, but it's one of the things that as soon as you start exploring an idea that is silly, it really reveals how silly it is. So it's kind of like, if you keep things vague, or you set a movie and it says, the near future, instead yeah. of New York, 1999, it's been turned into a prison. Like, no, it hasn't. You just made this yeah. movie have a limited shelf life. And- but it's just the, <laughs> so the thing with this is like, um, that when we, we have... Lloyd uh, coming home for dinner that because um, Beck invites him to his house right and they right. meet they meet his wife and his daughter and the daughter is like and I don't, I don't know how like- much we've stated this but like Kyle McLaughlin's character Lloyd Gallagher 
is a good guy alien inside the body of yes. a guy named Robert who is the friend of the real yeah. FBI guy. Who's so awkward who, the entire time. Who but is like, never shown. And uh, I did find a thing where Kyle McLaughlin said that he played it as if he was a person wearing a mask, a Lloyd Gallagher mask. Well, that makes sense because even later on when we get to the big showdown, one of the big shootouts with um, them chasing the stripper um, through the um, like the Neptune, whatever it is, with all the mannequins. Mm-hmm. I get it. It's like I get it. I, I get what you're doing. There's a bunch of mannequins. It's a bunch of different like like their bodies. They're artificial. Like you're like that's fine. I, and back cool. to our filmmaking thing, where there's always a financial thing of behind it. Yeah, mannequins look cool and they explode cool and they're cheap. Yeah, no, no, <laughs> no, no, no. I'm all about that. Like, don't get me wrong. It's like yeah. you you give you're giving but me some symmetry. If you, you want to be a yeah. real filmmaker, it should also mirror the theme of the film and that's the theme of this i think yeah yeah, totally yeah yeah, yeah. so with him going to the uh, use of mirrors the use of of him like like the 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 self-reflection the multiple times where the 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 two alien characters are looking in the mirror whether they are human or a dog (laughs) right right. i was brilliant fucking brilliant yeah yeah (laughs) It's one of the greatest moments in cinema the history. I know. Next to the dog launching through the window and attacking a guy. But anyway. The dog jump know. kicks him. <laughs> How'd yeah. they get this dog to do that? They just threw the dog. They just threw the dog, right? Like, it's just, anyway. Aww. But but with um, the bit where they're ever, um, like, um, um, Lloyd is, like, visiting the home where they meet the daughter. And he's like, say hi to him. And the girl's like, no, I don't know about this. Like, good on right. them. Because child actors, like, directing the time complete garbage it was hit or miss and that girl was so like indifferent you're like yeah you could read into i don't trust this guy and then at the end of the film the perfect shot for the (laughs) coolishov effect yes (laughs) you you know that editing effect where they just show like different shots and they just had the same like person just kind of turning and then they everyone goes oh they're angry they're happy they're concerned and it's projecting yeah yeah, you're you're but that's how editing works (laughs) oh no for sure but at the end whenever we get the whole thing of her being hesitant and then being like, I'm mm-hmm. gonna reach out and grab your hand. It's like, it's like, it's one of those things. It's like, um, it's like, oh shit, she's never gonna be right because she understands that there's the other now. It's like, mm-hmm. it's like, so the ending of this film is positive, it, it, but it's but also it, not. Like, I just, I just, and also yeah. is is the ending of the movie open to interpretation, or is it that they didn't make it clear enough? And because I think I am, in, I honestly think I interpret my original interpretation of the movie is incorrect. And I think that's why I like it better than it deserves to be. <laughs> but I think it's it's one of those things where, like, I don't know, you take these movies like The Mist or something. You can have a discussion about it's intentionally kept. And actually, the original script of this film. It was a little bit more. It was, it it was, was open-ended. More, it, well, not even open-ended. It was a lot more bleak with the senator <laughs> running off. Yeah. You knew yeah. nothing good was going to happen, yeah. but how bad it was going to get was open-ended. Yeah. Yeah, and this was kind of like I think that that rewrite might have had a point to it. Of you need the audience to see the bad guy taken down. Yeah, for sure. But I like that. Like, um, this is almost. It's not similar. And uh, forgive me, I'm going to wander off for a second. It's <laughs> uh, it, it's the same thing. Like the end of Carrie, where it's like, oh shit, like yeah, we have resolution, but those involved are never going to be good. Like, you know, like when, right. like when Sue Snell has the dream sequence and you, like, she goes over to Carrie's grave, uh, grave, and then the hand pulls up and grabs her and it, then she wakes up and you're like, and oh. Like, and like this movie, it also doesn't make clear sense as to like what, what just happened there. Yes. yes. So the knowledge, so that's what was I'm saying. Was that like the, yeah. someone's consciousness or was that just life energy and yeah. now Beck's okay or is Beck now 
yeah. Lloyd. But, but supposedly in the sequel, the sequel is that Lloyd's not occupying Beck. Which is, I think is what the director intended. Yes. I think and, that's yeah. what the screenwriter intended. And yeah. that's not how I necessarily, I, t- I always took that was a possibility, but I was like, the way that he says hello or hi to his wife. Oh, the, let's talk about the aliens not understanding how to like, like re- interact with people. Cause it's like, yes. hello, goodbye. No. <laughs> And and that was the whole thing about like um there's there's the, them touching their own face which is yeah. great. this movie does a, is no is, is a masterclass in how to use callbacks yes and Suicide Squad is the uh, is a masterclass in how to fuck up callbacks <laughs> oh look at you dropping two f bombs I'm to back. sorry yeah yeah R rated continue please. I was triggered by Suicide Squad sorry <laughs> you brought up by yourself. I triggered myself. Yes, yes. yes. but it was the perfect example of like you know a rich production where you don't know how to use a callback. They do these things where they show like, um, well, I think the first callback is the tongue thing. Yeah, the tongue thing keeps because the 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 main bad guy always kind of licks his lips. Okay, the main bad guy is he's 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 Heath Ledger, uh, the Joker from the Dark Knight. The the main antagonist is I the main antagonist of this. I don't I know they say the the actual name of Kyle McLaughlin's. It, well, they say his name, and they also mention the plant they're from. I don't think they actually named the being that is the one on the run. So, right. Yeah, yeah. But um, yeah. it is a murderous, hedonistic space slug yeah. that just sees something it wants, it takes it. Yeah. It seems something in its way, it kills it. It's just, it's basically indulging in all the things that you were told to look out for that were vices of the 80s. Mm-hmm. So fast cars, loose women, loud music steak dinners all the time all the things that were bad for you it just doesn't care wait no i think that's all appropriate right now i'm kidding yeah. but yeah no but like yeah he is the id right he's the id and then right is as kyle mclaughlin's character like the ego like or like the super ego um, i mean maybe right like in terms of like how they approach things because but also his character also his has name an is al al hog <laughs> Yeah, A L H, which which is funny because he says his home planet is Ras Al Hog. Yeah, but then they also mentioned something about Altier, which is like a like a throwaway because there's a lot of different um, movies. Well, and he's they, been on. They, remember, he's been chasing him from planet to planet. So yeah. they're like the Altarans are filthy people. Yeah, and, they mentioned Altier multiple. Like that's a thing that's like a sci-fi kind of like it's it's kind of like almost an inside when, joke about a planet. When you, I couldn't find anything mentioned about it, but when I was watching again and they first arrive at the police station and you have Clue Gulliger trying to take Beck away to take him off homicide so that he yeah. can escort the senator that's coming to town or out where they're setting this up, you hear a radio in the background go, this is 1L19 calling for backup on something. 1L19 was the cop car that got assaulted outside of Tech Noir and Terminator. Oh, that's fun. And then fun. he came and took it. That's and, fun. Because is- you, you asked about the connection to Terminator. Yeah. That makes sense. But there's also a connection to the thing because the, there's the bit later where whenever um, the, the, the bad alien is occupying the, the, the one gentleman that is like bleeding out. And mm-hmm. then whenever his like the alien inside's trying to escape, but also he understands like I understand this body is failing. But there's a bit where like um, the tentacles are escaping the arms. Right, 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 right. You hear the same insect noise from the thing in there for a brief second. Oh, that that that's that, like that sh- whipping around like it's a Japanese locust. Sound. Yeah, whatever it is, it's, the it's one that, used in a lot of it's stuff. It's the one that was used in the dog pen scene. 
um, in the thing. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. Purposely so, right? So that's fun. Like so, so referencing the Terminator in the thing tells you. Do you think you, it's purposeful? Because I know that the it is purposeful. The, like, the, that red tail hawk cry that is used every time they show the desert isn't purposeful, but no, it's the actual same no, sound. But effect. what I'm saying is, like, if you're gonna do a film that is basically riffing off of the thing in Terminator, mm-hmm. why not? Right, because it is because this is because you we and I are talking well, before we start recording. You said about the this. sound effect on that effect. That effect is the same effect from the Terminator when he's fixing his arm. Oh, which is why the actor makes a point to lean against this crate okay. awkwardly because uh, what he does is he puts his arm against the crate and then he grabs the part where there's like an alien tentacle coming out of, and that body and the forearm is prosthetic with stuff coming out of it. And there's an actor with their hand coming yeah. out of the crate, which was the same thing. And that makes Terminator. sense. No, I just I think that like and someone getting shot a bunch and not going down. I, they clearly yeah. like no. That. I, so I would I would describe this as a hybrid, like purposely totally. so of the thing and the Terminator, and in the best and the 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 fun the best fun way, right? Because you with the Terminator, you have like in that film, you have both parties: the good guy, and the bad guy understanding what they are coming coming from the future of the so, past but you have that setup the where hidden things, is yeah. 48 hours yes meets starman meets terminator meets the thing meets meets oh, uh meets men in black that. well i know but the men thing, in black maybe but yeah, i say the but. thing because you can't trust those around you because the way it's a hitchhiker running from person to person and like uh, um, yeah meaning that there's the other right no, like there's that thing like because that's, yeah so. i thought it was covered with terminator because it was an infiltration thing but it didn't change its face you yeah know? but like because every time we had our other character that knows exactly it made what's it going a mystery on, again yeah, yeah he knew what was going on and and he also there's literally there's a wonderful cut in this film where he tells the villain um, jumps from body to body yeah in it's it's very movie. much um it's very much jason goes to hell that's right. the other part which is we were talking about callbacks before and we kind of got <laughs> sidetracked which yeah. um there's a, there's a there's a mannerisms that the villain does and they have Licking such the good and, yeah. actors playing like every actor that they um uh, I'm going to go like like the the guy that plays DeVries at the beginning. Yes. You've seen him in a lot for a reason because he's really good. There's people that are in this that are playing the character for like a moment. So just tell me that if you as somebody who's acted, would you not have a, a lot of fun playing this character as somebody that's supposed to be like awkward alien and just driven by like it's by potentially want. a lot of fun. Yeah, it's the, a lot of fun. Yeah, it's the, a lot of fun. It, yeah. It, I've heard it oversimplified that if you want to know if a character is fun to play, go through the script and highlight all the bad things or flaws they have. <laughs> and if you, it's mostly colorful, then you have a good character to play. Yeah. Because it's harder to play like the Jimmy Stewart or the heroic like. Yeah. Chris Mulkey had fun at the beginning. Yeah. Yeah. And then I think um, William Boyette, who is the main one we follow for the bulk of the movie. The majority of the time. Oh, he, you could tell he's He's having so much fun. So um, before I forget, I know that it's going along and we talk a bunch mm-hmm. here. There's there's a lot to talk about. It's a, it's, a, yeah. it's one of those movies that on a surface level is it's a it's a B action movie and it delivers. No, yeah, but it, it, there's more going yeah. on. So with him, there's also there's a couple sequences with with uh, Boyette where after he tapes up his arm because he understands himself trying to escape because his body 
from the jump is failing because it, it, it needs a triple bypass. It's having gastric issues. He yeah. Out of hearing, desperation, he has to get in this very sick man's body. Yeah, so he's, yeah, you he, know, he has the gurgles of like, uh, like was it, um, from the guy and stand by me, the eating the, the pie or whatever. Anyway, yeah, they said but, he has gastro something or <laughs> what? Yeah. It's like, <laughs> yeah. It's like so the he's, gurgles. He's, he's hitting the gurgles and farting yeah. the whole time. Yeah. But like that also make, it makes me think of what, um, Oh, uh, men in black, the first one with, um, Oh, what's his name? Uh, Kingpin. Um, D'Onofrio. Um, D'Onofrio playing that character where he's in the skin suit basically running around. And again, you, you can tell that D'Onofrio is probably actor, taking it from the, this. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Because yeah, um, you're you're seeing people shift like center of gravity and you're seeing them shift um, like how they carry themselves yeah. in mannerisms from moment to moment. Because like the actor that plays the senator at the end, he plays a senator. The major- So you have a pre-established character, which... Yeah, there's only a couple of them that have a the 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 status quo character. So like um, this the Brenda character, you get to see who Brenda actually is before she's taken over, and you see the senator, and then the way they carry themselves, yeah. and they do that like sneaky tongue mannerism. Yeah. but like Cliff, Cliff is the 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 friend that's the one of the coworkers, and the like when he gets taken over, mm-hmm, he's the mm-hmm. the one approaching the senator. He also has a mannerism. Like there's a there's a certain thing about that. So so yeah. But with uh, William Boya, the way like, they speak, the way yeah, the way yeah, they yeah. carry themselves, his his like it's so much fun, especially with him going and like grabbing, like goes into the one music store and puts all the cassette tapes in his pockets mm-hmm. and like all that. And, just being, and then he goes to the diner with the boombox. Like hey kids, talk to your parents about the boombox. About him playing the music real loud, just eating food, and he's like, "Oh, my tum hurts." Yeah, your body's falling apart, you idiot. You're just going to eat all the mm-hmm. steak and whatever. But then he sees the sports car. He's like, "I'm going to run, run down the street." I love all that. I love it. Then he goes to the dealership. Every person modern that I watch that with does the same thing where they go like Grand Theft Auto. <laughs> yes, because it looks like a live action. Yeah, it looks like they're like, "Oh, I want to hit." I'm going to hit a triangle. Middle aged, out of shape white man yeah, yeah. running down. Oh, the him, street yeah. in Los Angeles chasing a Ferrari because he wants to steal it. Yeah. But I like when he goes to the dealership, he's like, I want this car. And it's like, no, 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 you can't have it. He's like, and he keeps going over and touching I it. I want this car. <laughs> that sequence great. I need the keys. Yeah. But then when he goes to the strip club, um, I'm going to ask you about this because I think the film actually is competently made in terms of direction. There is a wonderful shot. It's a... I don't know if it's a crane shot or whatever you want to do it there, right? Where we see the strip club and it pans over and moves and moves and moves. And we get to him, Boyette's character at the bar. Like he already, he's taped up, but he's bleeding out. And we see all the blood pulling on the bar that's dripping down. And the camera moves down to his bag full of guns. Mm -hmm. Um, That is such like, it's refreshing to me. It's yeah. It's a lost art that shouldn't have been lost. And I, I'm waiting for it to, yeah, I wish I could. The fact that we're mentioning it means that there's people right now trying to pioneer it back because it's it's one of the things that I did notice in preparation for coming on and talking about this movie is how competently they got coverage and the way that talk about that, please. Okay, well, one the the way the coverage is get that they get it in the first scene is uh, the way that he sold it cleverly is it's a lock off shot from a surveillance camera yes. and it. Brings the audience into it in a fun way. It sets the setting in a fun way. And that's kind of what you're trying to do. Also, there is... Um, the When they we get into the car chase at the beginning, that shot like... Uh, 
in, in a fresh way for the time. So that car chase was probably really exciting and cutting edge for the time where today it's just a really well done cool car chase where mm-hmm. now they have better tech and everything. So so sure. it, it's done well. But what's interesting about it is um, the, the, the villain, the character in it, plays his own darn soundtrack. It's great. He comes in and he, you're like, why is he taking the time? You hear the police sirens in the background. He's putting on his own yes. soundtrack that is metal music. And as we go out throughout the coverage, the angles they're getting of the car chase, you realize that they're keeping that m- music diegetic. Meaning it only exists in the world of the movie and the characters in the movie can hear it. Whereas score, as like Aragorn in Lord of the Rings is riding into battle and you hear the music swell, he can't hear that. That's what he's feeling. And that's what they want you to feel. So when they cut to all these different angles, you hear the volume of the metal music going up and down, up and down. Because it's only important that this completely egocentric, hedonistic character that has his own private soundtrack Mm -hmm. in a movie that you're in that sums him up perfectly. He's in. He's going about his day in a Ferrari that he doesn't care if he smashes it because he'll just get another one. Yeah. And he's providing his own soundtrack because, damn everyone else. And and that's brilliant. So um, no. I, I, and I, another I, yeah. way they get coverage, which I think you wanted me to kind of expand on, Please. is that shot at the beginning of the the strip scene is indicative to a few other scenes where they tend. To try to, when they have the space, so there's a, they do it in the police station quite a bit, is they're going for getting their master almost as if, if everything aligns and the planets work out, we're going to make this scene a one By master, you mean like it's, the it's capturing, main, yeah. The, the shot that is, that sees the most from left to right, top to bottom is often yeah. the farthest away when, and it's usually the first scene used in it where you're kind of showing the layout of the whole building. So you get the geography of what's exactly. Going on, you're getting geography, you're getting positions of people and everything, and it shows everything. And then you usually go into close-ups, or the camera will actually physically move in. Yeah. yeah. So they're trying to do that, where they are going from left to right, showing you the whole strip club, and then showing you this is where the character is, and there's guns under there, and that's yes. just a efficiency of filmmaking but also it also and feels it does, a little bit like sorry go ahead please it does two things where it's more interesting to the audience it looks classier and up front it takes longer on set but in the long term by the time you get it you realize we're done with the whole scene yeah that, that but it's also very similar to like hitchcock talking about like it's one thing to have people talking around a table and a bomb go off it's mm-hmm. way better to see people talking and then you go down and show a bomb ticking Meaning right. like you as an audience, you know, things are going sideways. So with this going on, we are, I mean, we already knew this guy was like an alien and terrible. And like, actually, fact- I think you're ahead of the curve on that one. Um, you're a hundred percent right where it's another reason that this form of filmmaking would play well. Cause you're, you're being led through the perspective of it. Yeah. But it's also good just from like a technical or a filmmaking well, no, standpoint. For sure. But it's like you, it's the economy of storytelling. What, what, so what I'm saying is like. And the business behind it. Too. Yes. No, yeah. for, absolutely. What I'm saying is like, I get, I get frustrated with a lot of like telling and not showing. And I think yes. that like, we don't like, especially when the bartender comes over, he's like, you okay? And he's like, I'm fine. It's like, you're bleeding on the bar. But like, this guy's like, I'm not getting paid enough to deal with this. Like we get right, that. Right. And then we cut down. So we see the bag full of guns, which will pay off later. Like it's, it's, it, we get the payoff of that where after he transfers to the stripper, the best like, examples yeah. of what you're talking about is, um, that intro shot of back to the future. Yeah. 
Like it leads. It's 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 a camera moving around a garage laboratory, and then some kids' feet coming through the door. Mm -hmm. And through that whole thing, you establish that this is both the lab and the living space of a guy and his dog Mm -hmm. who is a scientist who has been disgraced and used to have a house that burned down, and he's been gone for a while, and he's best friends with a cool kid that has a skateboard. (laughs) And doesn't know what this doctor's doing. And at the last moment, he's been messing around with that missing plutonium that they just spoke about on the news because it's underneath the bed that we just revealed. That's all one shot. Yeah, but like I would even go further and say touch of evil. With touch, like, and yeah, the, but that the, also the, is is a device to the it's not just efficient, it's also adding to yeah. the suspense yes, by not giving you the break. Because like, you know. It's the thing too of like it is classier and everything, but it's also like you could have covered that whole shot you're talking about in the strip club in cuts, but why? Yeah, no, that's what I'm saying. Like there was a conscious why decision. Don't do it that there, way. There, there's a. It's just I think that they understood that like we can we can set everything up in the background and move from the performer to our character that we're seeing and see that like he's bleeding out and now he he's still like we know that like this is not going to go well and then the show how it's going it's adding like we're already establishing because he forgot how to do blocking yeah well it's like the harem club or whatever it's called right like um and then we know he's going to go he's like i want that he didn't say that but um he goes over and then we see him there drinking and then the one guy interacts with him and then the camera moves down and it's like i just I to for whatever reason that it is sucks you in. It's you, refreshing to me that I get so frustrated. It's like, like um, I'll put this to you, and I know we've been talking way too long. Um, but <laughs> like um, again, welcome to the show. We're still an hour away from our normal anyway. But um, you have the option in pre-production, script-wise, blocking-wise, storyboard-wise. Once you find a location uh, and understand your limitations of like setting up cameras and stuff, of like okay. This is the intent. This is how we can do it. I get frustrated where it's like, all right, so where is the creative vision? Like, um, where is our attempt is we're making a film. So what's the point of a film to tell a story, to engage the person, to suck them in? Um, These are these things that I'm not saying the hidden is perfect. It is not. But No, but it's using the camera and its movement as a storytelling technique as opposed to... Showing an event happened, which is kind of what you're talking about, right? I just get so frustrated where it's like, Give me something that's an artistic choice that engages me storytelling wise. Mm-hmm. Also, I don't need to be smacked in the face with this. It's like, yes, we're being fed everything going on because we're engaged with the movie mm-hmm. and uh, like believe that we're smart enough to figure out what's going on with the movie. Right, right. Like, especially when the rug pull is the first 20 minutes, we don't know what's going on. Right. So, like, understand that, like, you've engaged us, you have our attention. You can pay this off now. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know. It's just, I, I don't know. Maybe I'm not saying that the, like you and I, like we're similar in age and I know we grew up watching eighties films and I'm not saying like they're perfect. Cause there, there's a bunch of garbage here too. No, but there's a, there's a real thing with uh, how quickly things change of throwing out. There's a sense of professionalism. Like what, what's what I was talking about. Like, right. There's a lot of things you. that are better, but it doesn't mean you had to lose the technique of it. Like yeah. the tech's better, but don't lose the technique. And then it's, it, you know, I've talked about I teach a film class, but yeah. my students are like, sometimes we'll do exercises with their little cell phone. And the second you go, let's plan out a camera move in it where it's not shaking in your hands and yeah. attached to something. 
and we'll do something like in a real movie and they see the end result. And yes, it's still the image produced by a cell phone with not that great of lighting. But the second you move it on like a dolly, they're like the, they, it's, it's a huge difference, yeah, a I, huge difference. I would argue it's like the same thing of like when Buster Keaton was taking the piss out of people where he would do a single take of leaving a house, getting a car, driving across the street, getting out of the car and going to the other building to continue the scene. Cause everyone's like people, they're like, audiences won't understand edits. He's like, all right, fine. I'll show you me literally leaving one scene mm-hmm. and driving to the next scene and showing you this is stupid. You know, like there's a certain sophistication yeah, education that I know D.W. Griffith did that. He was big on just he's like, they'll get it. They'll figure yeah, it out. Yeah. Orson Welles. Which, I mean, I mentioned, but it's like <laughs> Citizen Kane. I'm not saying like, like it's, it's a bit of a dry movie, but even today, the edits in that film and the storytelling elements right. are still modern. You know what I mean? Like, and the, I, I'm not comparing the hidden to Orson, like to Citizen Kane, no, don't get me wrong, no, but no. like I'm saying like, like you as the audience will get it, you know, and right, with, with that right. sequence in the strip club, um, like we get it. And there's other, there's, there was other bits and pieces. Like there's other things that pay off later too. I love, there's the story beat where we find out like Lloyd can't hold his beer and he's like sleeping, uh, sleeping it off. Mm-hmm. Right. And he's given the Alka-Seltzer and doesn't understand it. But then there's the next scene. That's a real, real small moment where, um, he's brought aspirin. And he's like, I'm going to drop it in the water. It's like, it's yeah. so quick. And him trying to drink the, the rest the of it. The first like- scene, he tries to eat the Alka-Seltz. <laughs> and they go, no, 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 no. And they put it, because yes, yeah. they don't know he's an alien. Yeah. And, and they tell him, like, no, you, these are fizzies. You drop them in the water. And then yeah. someone hands him, like, two Tylenol. And he just looks at them the, and drops throws both of them in the water. But also him watching. And the for, cop that gives it to him looks at him like he's yeah, nuts. Yeah, but also for previously, when he's at the, the dinner the night before, using, the like, the, the fork and knife, like a weirdo. I guess. Yeah, no, yeah. And there's great acting moments in this where... Yeah. It's almost like the biology of the human portion is dictating something that these characters haven't felt before, like the yeah. effects of alcohol or the effects of hormones. Like, like it's clear that the villain has sexual urges. Yes. But they it's, are dependent on whatever body he's in. Yeah. Like, so I, he's attracted yeah. to like when he's in the male body, he wants to go to a strip club. And then when he's the stripper, he wants to hook up with this guy with a cool car. <laughs> Because he just wants to, he wants to have whatever he's is like, fun like to I said, like the I said, body. He, he's pure id. Yeah, like it's yes, just, yeah. exactly. Because yeah. it wouldn't matter. It wouldn't matter to him. Yeah, you know, or or it. Yeah, I just, I, I just, yeah, Them. yeah, yeah. It's just this. This is, I, I don't know. Like it's just, it's a, it's a, it's a fun movie. I like on Letterbox. I gave it four out of five. At Pawn of the rewatch, is it like? And for me, I guess five is like a perfect film, but four is like. I had a lot of fun with this and mm-hmm. um, there's, I don't even, there's probably still sequences in here. We haven't gotten into like, we talked about the dog briefly, which is. <laughs> okay. Amazing. We didn't even get to the whole thing where it, it, one of the things, one of the, the actors that plays the villain is a, is a dog. <laughs> and, <laughs> and, and, and he's laughing, but not because yeah. it's funny how well it's done. Like, like, you're just like you get these shots of like a dog with a menacing look, like yeah. like he's like, like I'll get I'll get you later. <laughs> no, but I love that. No, in terms of like um, I I put it on almost the same level aside, aside from them launching a dog through the door at the one guy. Is that how they did it? I don't know, but it's almost similar to the one um like the the one husky that they had in the thing that was able to oh, walk right. down the hallway and look and then turn because they're like this dog was basically borderline feral in that they're like we don't know like. It was so good on set because it was never a trained dog. Right. Uh, If I remember correctly in the thing, they would have these long one or tracking shots where it would 
change direction and then pause and then yeah. get moving again. And the dog, they were able to direct it where it was, all, it was almost as if the dog was trying to sneak around and not be seen. So it would stop moving. Yeah. And they're like, like, they're like, but it would do it on the first try. But they're like, we don't know how this happened. Right. So like, you it know, just followed direction so well where yeah. they were able to go like, hold on. And cause obviously and it they're, did. they're, yeah. they're directing, giving the dog cues and then replacing the audio later. And that's yeah. how you work with animals. But. So, yeah, but with this one, with, with the, the, this dog, this whatever it was, just got washed through a window and, back, and just kicked the, the guy in the back. But I whatever. think we it's also, like, <laughs> outside the dog, I think we need to bring up the the, the flamethrower. Oh, yes, please. Like, the, also Chekhov's flamethrower. I love that, like, they're like, oh, what's this? It's like, oh, no, it's got this wait, off. What you, wait, what did you just call it? Chekhov's flamethrower. No, that's the perfect. <laughs> yeah, because we get to, like, so the whole thing is we find out. So, okay. I okay. did find out that it is an added scene. Okay. And, and it makes more sense. So, so we'll, okay. Before we wrap this up, I know we talked about spoilers. Like, I mean, like, so, uh, are we Ma- going to make the hidden a two parter? <laughs> no, no, no. Uh, but like, when we get to McLaughlin's character, we find out that like he understands that like the other being can only be killed once it's like transferring bodies, once slug form, because he has a weapon that looks a lot like a personal massager. It looks like it looks like a sex toy. toy. Yes. Yeah. 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 It does. <laughs> It's you know it's you know it's 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 two in one. Let's put it that way. Anyway, or so. it is the world's most comfortable to hold gun because <laughs> it's just very metallic and smooth. Yeah, it's it's the it's the it's the sexy cricket. But, but the um, whole yeah. thing is that <laughs> when inside a human or a host body, you can shoot up this thing as like a Terminator, yeah. and you can't kill it. But it blows up walls. Yeah, like it blows up walls in the evidence locker thing when the one guy picks it up and shoots it. That causes the and, explosion. But it did yeah. it weirdly. It did weirdly, yeah, yeah. And, but but yeah. human flesh, if he takes his ray gun and yeah. shoots you, you just get kind of yeah. tingly and yeah. glowy for a while. But, but so you don't he has die. a sex toy. But then we have the whole thing. It's like bringing, we got to bring the being out. So we have Chekhov's flamethrower because I like the one officer comes in. He's like, oh, I got this off a hood on the street. I'm like, that's a really complicated flamethrower. Like, like growing up, I had super soakers that were that size. That's that's a problem. And then how um, you know uh, Gallagher, Lloyd Gallagher's like he's like I'm bringing this in to the like the the Senate meeting or whatever. Like the guy like the senator meeting. It's like what is it? Security and from like security stuff. Like, yeah, doesn't he say it's like it's security equipment? Yeah, security equipment. They're like and he just runs away and grabs yeah. the flamethrower. Open it. Oh. It's so it's so great. I love everyone's like, oh, you burned this thing up, and then the burnt body's like, yeah, there's a slug coming out, and everyone's like, oh shit, and he's like, burn, and everyone's like, like sorry, sorry, sex toyed it, and he hit it with a beam, and everyone's like, oh, thank goodness that happened, and it's like, um, by the way, the fact that he ends up in the hospital like by the next room to Beck, <laughs> um. That doesn't feel right to me because it's like you just killed a senator, right? They don't understand why. Why are you not supervised? And I was kind of thinking that about... <laughs> it's one of the problems of, on re-watching a lot of movies is on your first viewing, like, where things are in the space. Yeah. You kind of just give a bit of carte blanche to that. And then this is like, if you were to see on surveillance footage and wide someone running with a flamethrower and try to take down any sort of politician, they would just empty weapons into them until they fell down. Alien or not, they sort of shoot him a few times and then are more concerned about finding out what he's doing and why. So they yeah. kind of just let him. And then yeah. after he does it, they just kind of stand around him and give up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. They're right? like, well, this I is mean, the, this is the time that you're not going to shoot this guy full of bullets. We, yeah. we, we can't 
shoot him a bunch and make him unkill the senator. <laughs> and then it's like, well, maybe they're just like, I don't know. He did have a space like come out of the burnt senator. So maybe there's more to the story. And I, yeah. I don't. So, yeah, you do give it some credit. But yeah. And then to cap it off, we kind of got to say like. Beck, the Earth detective, gets shot up at this final confrontation where this id alien decides he wants to take over a senator running for president because then he can have whatever he wants. I want all the birthday cake. He doesn't say that. I want to be president. I want want my cake. So So Beck gets shot, clearly mortally wounded. They tell his wife that he's probably not going to make it. And then they show Lloyd Gallagher... (laughs) Who has also been shot up, come into his room and do the same, again, a callback used effectively, but instead of a space slug coming out of his mouth and going into the other character's mouth, it's like pleasant glowing light. What is unclear in this movie is, did he give we talked about that like yeah his life force or is that now gallagher yeah but according to the co-opting his friend's family like his whole thing is he was mad about some other being coming and stealing his his friends and family and so i know that's what i'm saying like comes into back's life puts him in harm's way gets him killed and now steals his family (laughs) we didn't learn our lesson and that's why i'm saying the sequel is picking up where it's like oh yeah that's the dad not really (laughs) so I always took it as he gave, he knew how terrible that was to go through. So he gave his life force to Beck and then died. And I knew that I was maybe guessing at that, but I thought that that was a better thing because, and the reason why is the way that he comes to and looks at his wife and says, hi, it was very human and it was very in the Beck character. So I was either thinking that, that, my feeling was that that was intentionally ambiguous. Well, and that's okay. Like I think, like, and I think it works as a classier film that way. It, I, I agree because the way it was originally scripted was that that was the vice president, not a senator. The alien gets into the vice president, and it gets away and does that thing where it looks back and licks its lips yeah. and is like, "Ha ha ha!" I got away, and then goes off to the White House. They state it goes to the White House. <laughs> so you're left with this bleak thing of going, "I know things are bad, but how bad?" Yeah, is the, it going to just jump into the president or kill the president and become president? Yeah. So they ended up killing the alien. But then I was like, okay, well, this is also supposed to be ambiguous as to whether or not that's the Gallagher yeah. character that now has a second chance as a wife and daughter or was just trying to prevent that type of sadness of going yeah, on. So the weird thing is that we none of them predicted Dick Cheney. That's what I got to say about that. Because you know, Okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, this is... All right. Um, I want to hunt geese. <laughs> I, I want to shoot somebody in the face while I'm hunting geese. Anyway, so, um, yeah, I don't know what that means. Uh, but this is a fun movie. It um, is. And we could we could talk more about this because there's there's some of the ancillary actors are good. Like like the the Ferrari dealership. <sighs> that's so, with, the, with all the, the bumps of coke. I that's could a also, lot of fun. I could also go more into how they got the coverage for this because there's, there's some really classy stuff of how they covered some cliche otherwise cliche scenes yeah but also day trio for a minute where he's like you he's like you some kind of alien or whatever <laughs> he just gets shot it's like it's like, hey pal what are you supposed to be and he just shoots him <laughs> <laughs> it's like it's we amazing. we just got trailed that yeah, movie trailed us yeah. Uh, yeah so all right um before we're done with this conversation people i did we did the spoiler alert um even talking about this, it doesn't ruin the fun of this film. No. It's, it's a lot of fun. It's just... The execution but, is so yeah, good. Meaning, like, 
Um, I don't like the term hidden gem, like, because it's like, you know, either it is or it isn't because this film didn't do well at the box office. We'll talk about it in a second. And um, it didn't run on cable a lot, which is where we caught a lot of our movies. Was, yes. And right. People our age. Yeah. But also there's a lot of time. Us being 29. Yeah. Right. Um, forever 16. Uh, but uh, <laughs> we're, we're having a keats in the air next week. But now um, what I'm saying is like th- there were still a lot of competing studios at the time. So there's a lot of counter programming. That's not the same thing anymore. Um, so they would take a shot on these films to try to like, like carve out a wedge. Right. So we get that. So they took a chance. This film didn't do well financially, but, um, there's a lot of things from this time that didn't do well that have been celebrated more often now. Um, this is a film I think that like, I'm not saying that like, hold it up as perfection. Yeah. So much not depends on timing and marketing yeah. and how it got out there because yeah. like, you know, maybe it didn't have a big theatrical open. Maybe it wasn't on the right yeah. cable station. Yeah. Like we, like I mentioned, we mentioned the Wraith and passing, which I covered on strange highways with my coast. And then Harry. there were things yeah. that were out of print, but since like post digital yeah. internet, you can find anything that's ever existed that is in yeah. some format. Yeah. But like, so is the, the Wraith is a fun movie, not a good movie. Mm-hmm. This is a better movie than the Wraith. Oh, by, totally. like, totally but i would say this is a good movie it's a good movie yeah yes yeah because like it aside from the alien like you know the the good alien bad alien stuff whatever it follows its own rules like meaning like it sets up the premise it does a good job i also like that's another reason why i'm frustrated that kyle mcclock a lot of the effects are still good enough by today's standards that they're they're kind of at that um most most of the squib effects and the car chase stuff is still Solid. They have that um, William. What was the actor's name again? That's the creature most of the time. The bad guy. Um, oh, um, there's a um, the prosthetic yeah. head of him is. Yeah, he was so grossed out um, by that he couldn't watch that sequence. Um, yeah, I heard he couldn't yeah. be on set with his fake self. And yeah. and the thing is, is you, William Boyett. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the and and it varies from effect to effect a little bit, but yeah. for that time period, having. Having that not look like a painted mannequin. No, no, no. That was good. And like, and even there's that transfer like flesh sequence. translucency to it, which wasn't in, like, you see that more recently, but now they're using like silicone and stuff that they weren't using. But back even then. that there's partial stop motion with a little bit of that. Really? Yeah. They're a little bit. Cause there's like, but like, even when they did some of that, he's like, I can't be around this. Like hmm. fair enough. Cause it gross. Right. But yeah, all of that aside, but I still think the car chase stuff is amazing. Yes. The squib works amazing. Yes. Why do we have in 1987 on a low budget film a, safe, a more safer set with gunfire that we keep seeing to find now, which I understand there's shortcuts a lot there's, now. Um, that, and also and, there's a rhythm to that. Yeah. Uh, one is when stuff like that happens, it's classified as what it is now better, and it gets out in the media better. So when it used to happen, you cheer about a portion of it. Fair enough. So I want to say all in all as a whole, things are better, and also you see a rhythm to it where you'll see a tragedy happen, and then everyone will get safe. Yeah. And then they'll get lax again because they see it's something you get jaded to where it's like, no one ever gets hurt with these prop guns. And it's because normally over the years, it's there's only one person allowed to touch them. They have to go through a clearance thing where they empty them and disassemble them. So it's th- that. And it's I always yeah. ask the question, why, why are we subbing real weapons with fake ammo constantly? Why can't it be fake the whole time and only one person gets to touch it? And it's yeah, that's fair. Battery yeah. powered. And... Fair enough. Yeah. I'm yeah. sure there's a reason. So, all right. So wrapping up the discussion of this real quick, some other trivia. One, Michael Norrie turned down the role of Riggs in Lethal Weapon. 
uh, to make this film. Hmm. <laughs> um, that w- it went to Mel Gibson. I don't know. I, I think I think that Lethal Weapon, as much as Mel Gibson is a problematic actor, he is charismatic as a, a, a uh, just, newsflash. They're but, both problematic. But, okay, but that's fair. But I'm saying, like, in terms of like, allegedly, I should say, no, no, I've no. never worked with either. But Mel Gibson is like very problematic. But he, I would argue, of the two, he is the the much more charismatic screen presence. You know, like, and Nori's fine in this too. I like, don't think Nori's a bad actor. I just think that would have been bad casting, not necessarily. Yeah, it's Mel, yeah, seeing yeah. Mel Gibson's better yeah. actor. I mean, because that was the whole thing. He's one of those actors where you watch something and you're like, wow, they're really good, and you're almost like, why? Why not no. more? Fair enough. So, so yeah, he's really yeah. good in this. So and then um, there's some good acting in this for what so, it is. Yeah. So with this film was five million allegedly box office nine point seven. So it made its money back, uh, all things considered. Um, but then it just kind of faded away, and that's that's kind of weird. And but also we're going to get into this in a second in our game in a moment. Um, when this was released, uh, October thirtieth, eighty seven, number one song. Bad by Michael Jackson. Mm-hmm. You'll appreciate that because mm-hmm. um, you know you Michael Jackson never did anything wrong. No, ever. No. Number one film, Fatal Attraction. Also, that film's not problematic at all. Um, and then also same day and date, the Japanese release of the TurboGrafx 16, which started the fourth generation of video games. So the world was changing. <laughs> that was the first 16-bit system released. Um, mm-hmm. People need to appreciate that. So anyway, and then also we find out that you didn't call it the PC engine. <laughs> okay. Um, anyway, so that's what I have for for trivia for this film. We're gonna get into our game in a minute, but yeah, please, 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 people, watch this film. Like, come on, it's like three bucks. It's a lot of fun, and if you like, I like I said, the Blu-ray is cheap too. Like, there's a lot of special features which I didn't get to, but um, like I said, start of the episode. You showed me that oh that synthwave video of the beginning opening of this. Um, this movie that held my interest. And then I watched the sight unseen. Uh, I know we spoiled the hell out of it. Um, even if, we, even if you're this and not far only along, that we didn't get into another, like there's, there's a lot to talk about and yeah. we could do maybe two more episodes or yeah. something. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I'm saying is like, you brought this to me and um, we may or may not have been high. We were uh, watching the hidden. Uh, this was a film that I'm like, this is, like it has no right. Oh, being as good as you're it talking is. about the medicinal herbal extracts. Yeah. yeah. So, could, uh, okay. so uh, it was a couple of years ago um, um, with the release of Grizzly two, which is the worst cash grab attempt at completing a film that was incomplete when it came out. Um, we watched that that night, my wife and I and a friend of ours. And I was like, this is a complete hot mess. And then I like, it was such a bad taste in my mouth. I'm like, can I please show you both the hidden? <laughs> it was one of those things that, like, it was like the cure for what ailed you. And who is this? Who is this that you saw the Grizzly two with? with? With my wife. Uh, so, because uh, uh, because uh, have, have you seen Grizzly? Yes. It's a come on. That's one of my favorite Jaws. Also, Rands. It's so much fun. Right. As, as far as the like, you know, yeah. The, it's it's Jaws on land, and also there's a lot of those. But you, is, you, you have but to also, rate you, those on. You also have. The main character using a ro- like a grenade launcher blowing up a grizzly at the end. Come on. <laughs> Come on. Anyway, uh, the movie, William Girdler punched above his weight often in terms of a filmmaker. Gone too soon. But anyway, so yeah. Anyway, check out The Hidden. Three bucks to rent. Um, please, please, please do that. So, all right. Uh, before we get to our game here, um, we uh, we mentioned previously there was the, the way to support 
um, the, the, the charity, not charity, the nonprofit that you were talking about earlier. Um, I had that here one second. Um, where, where was it? I lost it. It was the Lakewood something, something, something. Oh no, it's the, uh, the young filmmakers Academy <laughs> dot org. Yeah. And, I, yeah. Um, yeah. Here, let me look. Let me look this up again. Young Filmmakers Academy. There we go. You mentioned it. Yes, it is youngfilmmakersacademy.org. Go there, support them. Um, go look at uh, Pat's amazing uh, headshot there, and go see. Um, what is it? They did a short film. Was it Night of the Witch? Were you yes, part of this? It, it already. Yes. I. Yeah. This is. Um. Well, what they do is there's a there's a summer program. If you're asking, um, and. We do summer programs and after-school programs. The summer program is a three-week program broken up, obviously, into week chunks. And the first week is the writing pre-production phase. The second week is the shooting phase and recording phase. And the third is the post-production and editing. And they're broken up as the students, uh, kids can take one or all or a couple of them, depending on their interests and what they want to be involved in. So I teach the production shooting portion of it, and um, the after-school program, They uh, there's not enough time to write something okay. and develop something, and usually there's not enough time to make something long enough to have an actual story arc to it. So we usually pick a scene from a, a movie that is something that they've all seen, and we reverse engineer it so okay, that, that we can sense. do a shot-by-shot duplicate. So okay. we've done films like Elf. We've done, um, for Halloween, we did the Steadicam shot from them walking in front of the houses in Halloween where it's Jamie Lee Curtis and her friends. And okay. th- yeah, they just, wanted yeah. to do it, but it was complicated, but we pulled it off. And then, <laughs> no, but that's usually good. That's usually when you know you're in the right place is yeah. that you're, you're, if, if you're challenged at the same time they are, then you're doing something worthwhile because you probably have to double check your sources and make sure you're not imparting false data on them. Uh, and the summer camp one, they write themselves from scratch. So okay. the Night of the Witch was one that they wrote themselves, they came up with, and it was a lot of our students were at the point where they had gotten old enough to watch spooky movies and um, said, can we do something a bit more adult this year? So we did. I think it turned out really well. Okay. They, they did some more advanced lighting techniques. But yes, we um, we have multiple programs you can enroll in. There's ones that come up that are specialty workshops, and all the pricing is listed on the site. If you have any questions, you can reach out through the email, and you can call them. The numbers or are donate. listed. That's uh, that's what you I'm can saying. donate, like, but yeah, but uh, you know, I'd rather people get a class out of it. You know, so, no, for sure. So but I'm saying, like, if, if people want to support them, please do that. Right, so, and okay. and and that's that's the goal. Ultimately, I believe is they're trying to get it so that it's a it's a free program. Yeah, that, that is absolutely. can be supported by the community where these kids will have access to learning in advanced communication art form that tells stories or puts across ideas and yeah it's one of those things where when you take the class and you walk through it once you can probably do it again on your own perfect all right so people please check that out and also donate or go you know get a class right so uh so you could find us on evasionthepodcast.com wherever you find your podcast rate and review us would be greatly appreciated uh r.i.p stitcher um that 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 went away as of like today um but wherever you find your podcast, if you enjoyed this conversation, let other people know, share it, tell people about it. And then also, by the way, if you want to hear me babble on, I was recently on Talk Without Rhythm uh, with the El Goro and a uh, friend of the show, uh, Tre- well, El Goro's friend of the show as well, and also Trevor of the Theater War podcast. We just did a Peckinpah double feature. We talked about the Wild Bunch and the Killer Elite. 
One of them is a great film, and the other one is The Killer Elite. So we talked about that. It was a lot of fun. Um, just, you know, Pat, I know you're trying not to laugh, but The Killer Elite, um, I joked about it being... I was um, going to hop in and make a joke. I was going to yeah. be like, so so you didn't like The Wild Bunch? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, The Wild Bunch is amazing. Oh, God. Oh, yeah. Like, that, that, that's, that's a movie. If you want to unpack that, you could do that for like five episodes. Oh, no. We we, we almost went three hours. But, uh, but yeah. Like, what do the ants and scorpions mean? Yeah. yeah. Also... All the horses that got scared during the filming of that movie. But anyway, go check that out. It's episode 684 of Talk Without Rhythm. Um, please, please, please go check that out. Uh, so, yeah. Um, uh, and then we'll, we'll get into what we're talking about um, and soon. But in the meantime, I'm going to challenge uh, Pat to uh, a bit of a box office barometer regarding The Hidden. Hmm. Time to play the game. Time to play the game. <laughs> so you can't look. Don't look at the screen. That's not the. Oh, that, that, oh. No, no, you can't do I'm it. I'm all curious about what you're doing. Yeah, yeah, no. So here's the game, real quick. So I'm going to tell you where the hidden was for 1987 for uh, the domestic box office, right? And okay. where it was placed. Uh, and then I'm going to ask you a various set of films if they were higher or lower. Box like, office yeah, wise? Yeah, box office wise. So I got to find that again. I just had hmm. it here for a minute. Where was... Um, so we know The Hidden was around $9 million and change, right? So I want to ask you. Right, right. Uh, higher or lower? Um, in, in what it made. Yeah, right. So that's going to be the goal. Uh, Creepshow 2, higher or lower? Higher. Mm. $14 million, So it did do better. Uh, Prince of Darkness. I'm going to say higher, but not by much. You're right. 14 and a million and some change, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. I, I think I, it hang that on Carpenter because it was John Carpenter's Prince of Darkness. So that would just be, yeah. Yeah, but that wasn't the, always the guaranteed. Draw. No, he did not. that. He did that and they live under the same, like they, they both had $2 million budgets. Mm. So that was, yeah, it was a thing, right? So uh, Teen Wolf 2 or Teen Wolf as well. Jason Bateman is the, the Teen Wolf. I'm going to say just a name recognition, having Teen Wolf in the title, it did better. It did less. It did Ooh. less than $8 million, so no. Um, then I uh, guess word of mouth and people being alienated that it wasn't Michael J. Fox <laughs> made people know it. Because, yeah. you know, I mean, you can't take away much from Jason Bateman as, a, as an actor, but... Yeah, right. You, I, you kind of after you see Teen Wolf and you see okay Teen Wolf Michael J Fox you feel cheated and then, <laughs> then that's just that's too much to put on the next actor. It's it's unfair. Oh, I agree. Um, all right, so uh, Death Wish for the Crackdown. Some chunk, some some double like was it two sequels into canon with um, Chuck Nor not sorry Chuck Bronson who did not give a shit. Where are we at with that? You you also mentioned Alex Winter earlier. He's yes, in this as well. Alex yeah. Winter and, and and the actor that plays Eric, not Eric, but Eric from yeah. uh, Willow. I can't remember his name, but he's one of those cool yeah. character and, and, actors yeah. that he's good in everything he does. And Danny Trejo. Yeah, and Danny yeah. Trejo. Is, <laughs> and he's one of the better deaths. Yeah. Uh, and I can see why you like because it has a very similar ending to um, what is it? Invasion USA. <laughs> yes. The Invasion USA was remarkably successful for canon, which was very few and far between at that point. It's freaking awesome. I just, that movie's it's so dumb. I time. love it. <laughs> 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 it's 
we did we did here on the show. If we I did. ever find out I'm terminally ill, I want you to kill me with a bazooka <laughs> while whispering it's time to me in no, slow we, motion. We did we did it was like three years ago. We did a year of canon. So once a month we do a canon film. Mm-hmm. Uh, we did we did talk about Invasion USA because Canon is one of those companies that like it, it, it was it was Icarus, right? Like they went towards the sun and failed <laughs> wow. miserably. No, they constantly kept betting on themselves and failed repeatedly. I anyway, feel like so. anybody with a cocaine habit is Icarus. <sighs> Jesus think, Christ! Like, I think you're Icarus if you have a cocaine. Habit. <laughs> uh, here, did, did you ever see the film The Apple? The the musical. Yes. Okay, so uh, here's some trivia. That I just I want you to know that Bim is on the way. I have a Bim mark over to, to, to the to <laughs> who, the right of you. Who doesn't have a yeah, Bim right. mark? No. The, Where do the, you apply your Bim mark, Paul? Oh, right here. Oh, my forehead uh but oh, okay do You're the one bim. of those yeah <laughs> one of those one of those no, no. so i'm there was, judging without you there, there was a sequence that was shot during the apple that never made it to the film in which they had like live like uh tigers <laughs> one of them got lost during the shooting of the sequence <laughs> they never found a tiger that just ran away so that's that- the setup for a movie about a colony of like it, it was pregnant <laughs> And it got loose. No, it's the most. It's the most. It's uh, like Wolfen. It's the most uh, Monarch and Golan thing ever. Where it's Tig- like Tigrin. Tigrin. <laughs> the fact that he's like, oh, whatever. It's whatever. It'll figure itself out. <laughs> anyway, so yeah. Was this the same people that painted a tiger? And <laughs> no, not for Beastmaster. For Beastmaster. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, so yeah, Death Wish for higher or lower than. Uh, oh God! See, this is tough because. <laughs> It's not the quality of the film. It's like how it permeated into the... I agree. Okay, so Death Wish 4 should be lower, but I'm going to say... I'm going to My gut tells me it's about the same, but I'm going to say it's higher because I'm, I'm going to be shocked. It's going to be like way higher than like these other movies. <laughs> it's going to be like 20 million domestic. It's going to be nominated for the Oscar for Best Picture. <laughs> yeah, and it's like I forgot about that. <laughs> no, it's lower. It was like less than 7 million. Okay, Sorry, that's yeah. where it should be. <laughs> and, and, and for the rest of this game, I'm going to... I'm going to do my Charles Branson impersonation. Yeah, and yes. Yeah, and yeah, say, right. what about, I'm, uh, I'm Paul Kirsten. What about, what about 10 to midnight where I had to shake a dildo in somebody's <laughs> face? Anyway, yeah. yeah what about same. my wife? Where's my wife? <laughs> Paul Kirsten. Yeah. Littered part six. <laughs> Littered <laughs> part six did worse. Because I remember back then they were like, like people were like, after opening weekend, the, the local news station was like, what the heck was that? Yeah, it's almost like Bill Cosby assaulted people. <laughs> and then, I, I know. Uh, it, it was less than $5 million. Also, was, i got to tell you a couple... the of, whole world didn't get the joke that calling it part six was a joke. No yeah. one... no one Like, they went in going like, do I have to see the other five? Yeah. <laughs> no, but it was a couple years ago, um, uh, uh, the co-host Steve tried to sneak in a VHS copy of Litter Part 6 into my house and I found it. He was trying to hide it. So, like, so yeah. That, Did you like, fully embrace him and thank him for the gift that keeps no, on giving? No, not at all. <laughs> no, how dare he? All right. <laughs> He's brought that in a all copy right. of Cabin Boy with Chris Elliott. <laughs> Superman 4, the question nah, that's mean. That's, that's mean to Chris Elliott. Uh, yeah. uh, that definitely did better. Yeah, fifteen million. That right. definitely did. Uh, see, here's the thing, though. I'm going to say it did. It had a higher domestic box office, but was the shooting budget of it like sixteen million? Yeah, no, no. The shooting budget for that was seven dollars. We know that. No, no. Um, what, no. Yeah. What was the shooting budget of Superman? I don't 4? know. They, they no, kept getting I, cut. It kept getting cut as they were shooting it. Really? Yeah, because 
Because um, after um, I don't know canon, whether I have gained no, or no, lost this, respect canon for film. you no, knowing no. about <laughs> no no we, we covered it in our year of canon oh. Oh, sorry yeah we covered it because it was that or the year of the sequel anyway but no canon got the rights and then the only reason Christopher Reeve like Reeve set like signed because he could like write and direct it or something like that because yeah. he wanted to do the whole like let's disarm mm-hmm. the world yeah and then he was I down for that it. and then as they were shooting it. The budget kept getting cut repeatedly over and over and over again. Like, right. And the fact that you also Which, get like... Yeah. Okay, I forgive the fact that it's a bad movie, but I will always like it because uh, we pretty much are disarmed today. And I think we can thank Superman 4 <laughs> for that. You're right. It was the quest for peace. We're good. Right? <laughs> yeah, because I right. think people saw we're like, all right, like we will disarm as long as you stop making all right. All right. Superman <laughs> seem <laughs> All right, all right. Um, over the top. Over the top. Another, made, another. It, made, it, uh, I, it had a higher domestic box office, but I'm I don't know in reference to its budget. But oh no, they like so. The big thing is that like I forget what they paid Stallone. They paid him a crazy amount of money right. to the point to where it, he's like, I don't want to do this this movie, but Cannon's like, we're gonna pay you, and he actually inadvertently like like destroyed the ceiling for like what like pay, people would get paid for because canon should not have paid him that let's and say like, yeah let's be realistic and say <coughs> cocaine destroyed the ceiling for where that could be at because it's canon or golden globe yeah or, have you, you ever know? there's a documentary um, we talked about on the show before called electric boogaloo you well, need any, to watch that any movies doing anything no no you know because it is it's crazy how much like the shit that they would just like green light. And like yeah. they would go to, they would do like when they go overseas to like do like the front selling of their films, mm-hmm. they would just present like things that were not even made yet for distribution rights. And they'd be so, like titles and posters. Yeah. There was yeah. a film called the Gollum that Charles Bronson was supposed to be people part of. People always talk about industries and, or, yeah. or, or things where at this point it was the wild West. And that was <laughs> definitely like, there, there's areas of like the 90s yeah. for indie film were the Wild West and the 80s for just all film was just like it's it, we've hit the reset button on how to do things. So, yeah, the big thing was like the the the, the canon would like oversell and like, sorry, they would yes. sell and over like under deliver. But every so often, if they did their budgets lower, like that, what what it was they would always kind of hit that one that would like fund everything else. Mm-hmm. But then they got too big for their britches, but also want to like critical acclaim. Yeah. So they kept chasing everything. You kind of see this happen over and over again. Yeah. But they wanted big stars. They wanted to do things. So there's actually some of their films that actually were pretty good. True. Um, One of my favorite canon films we talked about on the show is Runaway Train. That film's it's it's Eric Roberts. It's um, oh yeah, that is um, it's uh, what's his name? uh, Um, John Voight. John Voight. Yeah. And Rebecca Dormarnay. Yeah. That film is amazing. It's really good. It's really really good. And it's like that should have won the Palme d'Or. Um, at Cannes. Right. But there was this whole, like, kind of like, you get this notion that, like, they had a stigma. Everybody else was like, can't, like, Cannon can't win this. Right. right. And they actually gave the Palm Award to a film that was still in production. <laughs> wow. Meaning, wow. they're like, oh, this film that's not done yet, that gets it. So that was this was the closest they ever they, got. They to got it. robbed, yeah. yeah. So and so, what was it like? It was a couple years ago at uh, Cinema Wasteland. Eric Roberts just showed up randomly, mm-hmm. and I'm like, Oh shit. So I just showed up. I was like, dude, runaway trading. He's like, I know, right? <laughs> like, it was like, I'm like, oh, like, I just want to, I was just like, sir, I just want to let you know, runaway trains amazing. He's like, yeah, we got robbed. <laughs> oh, he, he, did he go right into the whole yeah. story? Yeah. yeah. No, he told me, I'm just like, that's right, Eric Roberts. Mm-hmm. That's right. 
<laughs> like so it's one of those things like I'm not trying to be like like a star sucker or whatever, but I'm just like, hey Eric Roberts, I know like, you know And so then and then after that you both made out, right? Yeah, we did we okay. we, we, we kissed a little bit. But All I'm right. like I'm like also like, you know, the dark knight, but I know. Uh but <laughs> but it was one of those things I'm like, come no, on, Eric like, Roberts has far more interesting movies than that. Yeah. <laughs> not to take away from the dark knight, but you yeah. know. I know, anyway. So Mash's Universe, another canon film, better or worse? Oh, definitely better. Seventeen million. Yeah. All right. So let me see. Okay. Let's do a couple more. We'll, we'll round this out here. So um, let me go up and down. I don't, it's just funny to me. Like Gwildor. Gwildor. <laughs> you and me have a different opinion of that film. Because uh, uh, um, I was forced to watch that at the end of the 12 Hours of Terrible after like five other films. It was uh. five in the morning. I was so mad. I was like, Gwildor, find that goddamn cosmic key. I'm so mad at this film. Anyway, so. All right. Uh, bu- 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 oh, God. Ha- what's his name? Uh, 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 um, Lubick. And he was also um, Back to the Future, the, the character actor that was like, you're a slacker, McFly. Oh, I can't recall. Uh, he's great, yeah. Masters. Yeah. You know, Lubick. Yeah, maybe. He ends up living in Eternia with a beautiful 80s lady, and he's <laughs> thrilled about it. Uh, like, right. no, no, watch the end scene of Masters Fair of the enough. Universe. <laughs> uh, Evil Dead 2. Oh, definitely did better. Did better? I'm going to say it did better, yeah. Six million. Really? Roughly six million, yeah. Is that one that basically like just did better over time? Yeah, I'm going to have a feeling it's one of those things that was still even it, low budget. Its budget was probably also a dollar. <laughs> and The and, budget was higher than Evil Dead 1. We both know that. No, well, yeah, but I mean, but then again, these are, you're talking about the, the geniuses that went on to make like invent superhero movies as we know them. <laughs> Like they, like they, they did the Spider-Man film. Yeah. Okay. So, um, okay. The monster squad. Oh, that's a tough one. I didn't say it did better. It did worse. Really? Less than 4 million. Um, but, but you both, really? you and I both know that, that I have the amulet and monsters are real. <laughs> we both know that. So, um, that's, I know that's a film that you love and you cherish, um, because uh, it's good. Because it's, no, it's a lot of fun. All right. Uh, near dark. Hmm. I want to say that's kind of like the hidden. So, oh God. I'm going to say it did worse. It did less than 4 million, which I did not see near dark that, until like the last couple of years. There's a bunch of movies from this time period where like they were similar to other movies or kind of like out shadowed by other yeah. movies. Near dark is amazing. It's a like, good movie. Yeah. But, yeah. It, as is, and it failed because of Lost Boys, which is also a good movie. Yes, but that's a good double feature. It is, and because they're dealing with the same thing in ways that are so different that yeah. you won't get bored. I would also argue that Near Dark and The Hitcher are good because it's the same writer. Like they're back to back, which like, would also be a good double feature. Yeah, that's what Near I'm saying. Dark. Like, Hitcher would be a good yeah yeah we we just covered Hitcher road movies too yeah yeah I've been this this thing like this one fits in are you talking about the the original version of the Hitcher yes I've been doing the back and forth between this and my other show Strange Highways we've been kind of going back and forth like like it's like a road movie summer like I've been we covered you'll appreciate this on Strange Highways with my co-host Terry we covered Duel the Hitcher and the Wraith recently and here. I've covered this, and then um, a couple weeks ago, I covered the uh, Twisted Metal series on Peacock, which is a lot of fun. Is it? Yeah, it's a, it's a lot of fun. I was curious um, about that. Yeah. So, okay, last one here. Um, American Ninja 2, The Confrontation, another canon film. Better or worse than... Um, I'm going to say it did better than American Ninja 2. 
Uh, oh, it did. American Ninja Two, which is the better of the American Ninja films. It's a it's a lot of dumb fun. Uh, Four million dollars. So, oh, here bonus one. My Demon Lover. Do you remember My Demon Lover? That um, the the lead of that is um, what was it? Um, uh, Michael J. Fox's buddy. Uh, no, no, it's um, it's the friend. It's the friend and uh, family ties that Kirk uh, Kirk Cameron's buddy, like like Nick. Skippy, but not Sk- Skippy was uh, uh, Skippy was in um, um, Family Ties. Oh, okay. Right? Um, oh, you don't remember my my demon lover? No. Uh, oh, okay. Um, it had um uh, here uh, here we'll look at this here. Uh, okay, uh, I, I recognize the cover now. Yeah, okay. <laughs> It's the one that's got the locket on yeah, it. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, where the guy, like, if he got horny, he would turn into a demon. You know, like, you know, as you do. You know, I mean, that's what most of the Southern America believes right now. I'm like, you know, like, um, yeah. Uh, Scott Valentine, uh, who was, uh, I think, the lead guy in this, who was, um, oh, what was he in? Um, he's known as Nick Moore. Oh, uh, what was it? Uh, on Family Ties. So, all right. Anyway. He was the buddy on Family Ties. I like I like that him. Was he and the one like, that died in the car crash? Michael J. Fox got all upset about it because he would have been in the car if he showed up that week. No, Nick Scott Valentine's still alive. No, so. I mean his character. Oh, maybe <laughs> I don't know. Uh, anyway, I just like the idea that like he was, um, you know, anyway, he was on Family Ties. No, Pat, he's still you know. alive. <laughs> yeah, it's, I don't know. Anyway, so yeah. Anyway, so that was that, that was a lot of fun. It's been like it just shows you how what we think did well. Versus what we know we enjoyed, right? That's well, I mean, they say that about the Academy Awards all the time too. Where, where, where <laughs> no, no, where like there's the one that won, yeah. and, and then you go like, I don't even remember that movie, and they go, what was also up, and they'll be like, Saving Private Ryan, and they'll but, go like, well, that why didn't that win? It goes, well, the one that's remembered and the one that endures and the one that people think is the better movie is usually not the one that wins. Do you remember? Like, I I forgot. Do you remember what actually won against Saving Private Ryan? I, was it Shakespeare in Love? Yeah, that pisses me off. Cause, and that's the thing where yeah. is, is Shakespeare in Love a bad movie? That's no. not. But is Saving Private Ryan like the superior film in all ways? Right. Yeah. So now yeah. Uh, there's also a game you can play of put yourself in the, the shoes at the time of like the Academy at the time. And then you can start to go like, I can see why they picked that. And but in retrospect, from from 2023, looking back, you're like, yeah, that doesn't yeah, make sense. Yeah. Like Green Book? <laughs> And I mean, you want to have a lot of fun, go through the seventies and there's ones that you can't find. Yeah. And no. that, like, you're like this one, this one, an Academy award and you can't even get a copy of it. And it's yeah. like against something that's like, you know, like I've seen yeah. that a hundred times. It's great. Yeah. It just, yeah. Also like the film crash, not the, like, not the Cronenberg one. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. It's so, yeah. Anyway, so that's going to do it for us this week. Thank you, thank you, thank you, Pat. Thank you for having I, me. I just I appreciate this a great deal. I know we had this is fun. I, we had a meandering conversation about the hidden, but like, why not? Like, it's it's just it's a fun movie. People should watch that. So I mean, we're not. I, we could do an ancillary episode where I explain how they do all the technology and everything, but that's not fun. Yeah, but you, <laughs> what do you mean by technology? You mean like the 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 actual sparkles in the mouth, like an alien transferring? I'm kidding. No. We, yes. No. 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 I actually know how they did that. <laughs> no. No. I'm serious. Th- th- there's a total of. Th- a couple, there's a couple versions. There's the one that ended up in the movie. There's a couple versions out there, and they actually had to take live casts of these heads of the actors and animate them for. Never mind. But no, no, no. no, no. no if you want no, to do no, an no, no, no. about the tech, no, I can no, do I'm that. Say, I'm saying, like, no, thank you, thank you, thank you. I, I love you, your brother. Uh, so that's going to do it for this week. Next week, we're taking the week off because it's Labor Day. Because 
I just want to enjoy Labor Day. Labor Day, Labor Day, right? Like, that's all. Right? I'll be sitting in a room by myself with headphones on pretending to do a podcast sadly. Oh, bullshit. <laughs> you should come over. We could pretend to do a podcast, right? Uh, no, uh, it's Labor Day, Labor Day. So everybody, like, take the week off. I'm taking the week off. And then after that. Watch The Hidden. Watch The Hidden, yeah. And, but the week after that, I am completing the year of Carpenter, which has become two years of Carpenter, by getting to his last film, The Ward, um, which I have seen. But I, 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 who's going to join me at TBD? Um, yeah, that's going to wrap it up for the the year of Carpenter because uh, we have, uh, uh, Pat, I, we've been through everything aside from somebody's watching me and Elvis. We've covered everything from Carpenter. Can you find Elvis? Is that possible? To find yeah, it? I mean, I, I'm sure I could, it's the made for TV film. I could find that. And I'm, I'm sure I, could I find meant like that. legit. Yeah. Like, can you buy a copy of it? Like, I don't um, know. I, I will find a way. I. I've not seen it ever, and I've mm-hmm. not seen somebody who's watching me. So that's my last two blind spots. Last time I saw Carpenter's Elvis was when it aired. <laughs> the, wait, you're younger than me, so I don't know when you saw that. It was like there was an '80s, uh, like yeah, yeah, okay, okay, okay good. yeah. I remember it being it was a TV because it was a miniseries, right? It was a miniseries. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it was on, and I remember. Yeah. People okay. watched it. So I've not seen those two. That's my last two Carpenter blind spots. But we're getting into the ward, which I've seen previously, but. We'll figure it out. That's going to wrap up um, like the year of Carpenter. Sorry, the two years of Carpenter. Uh, so yeah, everybody in the, in the meantime, have a good week. Have a safe week. Enjoy the holiday. And also like, I don't know, um, don't let aliens just shove themselves down your throats. That seems inappropriate. Yeah!